0: Hello, hello, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Stefan Molyneux from Freedomain Radio. Oh, what a show we had tonight. The first question was, uh, have I changed my mind about hard work versus talent? Because I've said, ah, hard work is a bit overrated, but I've also said that hard work is essential and talent is overrated. And uh, we talked quite a lot about that and how to be kind to yourself in pursuit of what you love. And I hope that makes sense. We've got some new data, new data on... Um, talent and and hard work and so on. And it varies by occupation, which we'll get into. Question two, there's a um, philosopher named John Rawls. He had a theory of justice. We've talked about him briefly before. And um, his central ideas of justice uh, and the welfare state and so on, how do they fit into what I talk about? And uh, I actually do a pretty good imitation of John (laughs) Rawls or someone like him talking about some really surprising stuff. So I hope you enjoy that. And the last question, it was a lengthy one, but a good one. A dream analysis about um, men and women, resources, immigration, aliens, Donald Trump, you name it. It was a fantastic dream, very instructive, very illuminating. And not just in terms of the content, but the form of how we can talk about dreams and how great they can be in teasing stuff out about what we think and how we live. So without any further ado,
1: here is the show. All right. First, today we have Taiwan. He wrote in and said... Um, referencing podcast 3106. He says, overall, I really enjoyed the conversations, but I was a little bit confused with the last caller, where you said, hard work is a tad bit overrated. Previously, you made a video titled, Screw Talent, where you explained that you had to work really hard to get where you are. Have your views on inherent ability and hard work changed over the years? I'm really curious about where you stand right now, and I hope that you will address my question. That's from Taiwan.
2: Hi, Taiwan. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Good.
0: So I'm going to assume that you're of the Asian persuasion?
2: Oh, uh, yes, I am.
0: So uh, i, I, I do ask, in, in cliches of the show, an Asian guy concerned about hard work uh, versus talent is not way outside the bounds. I'm just sort of
2: <laughs> mentioning <laughs> yeah,
0: that for instance. Yeah, I hear you, man. That's true. Uh, and w- what's your history with this kind of stuff?
2: Um. Well... Well, let's see. Uh, Let me just give you an example of um, my math, my math uh, academic performance. Uh, So, like when I was young, I I have actually never had to study for a math test, and I pretty much dominated my entire classmates uh, all the way from fourth grade to twelfth grade. And um, you genetically endowed superhuman (laughs) bastard. Yeah, uh, I, whether that's from, you know, genetics or whether that's from, you know, better curriculum, like maybe I could have had better mathematical curriculum during like, kindergarten through fourth grade, whether that's uh, environmental or genetic, I don't think is important. But I had, I had this advantage over my peers and when I came to the States, but um, I squandered away my, my advantage. So, like, I yeah. took the GREs, and I, <laughs> I scored a little bit above average in the quantitative section. And uh, so I had this advantage, but I started tapering off later in life because I didn't devote as much hard work. And so I only devoted as much I needed to be, like, one or step, one or step ahead of my peers, if you know what I
0: mean. Right. So was it – okay, so, so go on and tell me, how does that show up in terms of your life as a whole?
2: Well, it i kind of how does it show up um, I, I sorry
0: that's a, that's a kind of confusing Well, question. you said it tapered off and right? the reason i'm asking is you said oh, it tapered right. off oh, i'm right, just right. sort of like how do you know like maybe this is your maximum or whatever it is right i mean you said if you'd worked harder maybe you'd have gone further so how has that sort of shown up has your career sort of languished or or what how does that work
2: well, I guess my only example I have is um, the GRE that I took, and I'm scoring above average. I mean, I think if I worked hard, uh, my ability to be good at math could have exponentially increased. Um, but that's—I I, don't—I have no no hypothesis for that. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but I'm—I I do some—I have some. Right now, I'm doing research, and I, there's a little bit of math involved in that. But other than that, I. It's just uh, something that I'm not interested in, as a whole.
0: Oh, so you're good at it, but you're not that interested in it.
2: Well, I'm not. I'm above average. I'm not. I'm kind of close to average. I'm not really good at it because I I haven't really devoted a lot of time on on improving my mathematical abilities or uh, um, theories or something like that. Right. Okay.
0: So it's your you have some native ability, I guess you could say, in that you didn't have to work that much in high school. But as sort of time went along, you felt that you fell behind relative to your early potential?
2: Yes, that's exactly it. And I think this, uh, to sort of connect this to a bigger picture here, I think this relates to RNK selection theory a little bit. Because uh, when you have, for example, when you have an abundance of resources, you know, people tend to work less. I mean, when you have the welfare state, you know, people are not going to, People are just going to be dependent on the government. You're not, you're not going to work harder to get out of it. Similarly, I had an abundance of – I'm going to say abundance, but I had an advantage. But I, like I said, I squandered away because I had that, that abundance of um, ability, so to speak.
0: Well, but now, <clears throat> now you're saying causal stuff, right? So you're saying I squandered away. Because I was really good at something, I squandered, I squandered my abilities away. That sounds very kind of domino, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. So, I, when you think about the R and K selection theory, it's kind of like that as well. Wouldn't you agree?
0: Well, hang on. <laughs> How we tie your abilities, abilities as a whole, uh, work versus talent into RK, that's quite a big topic. And I'd rather stay with your sort of personal experience and, and life at the moment. I okay. mean, I could do that as a, a solo cast. I don't want to necessarily do it while we're having a conversation. So,
2: Okay. So what was the question again? I'm sorry.
0: All right. <clears throat> let, me, let me ask uh, things, things a different way. If you don't like it, you're generally not going to get very good at it. Like, this is true of just about anything, right? Right. Because you have to have some pleasure. Like, it can't just be a work ethic that keeps you going. Because then you're just like a, <clears throat> you're like in a gulag or a prison of excellence. And there has to be pleasure in what it is that you do in order for you to want to work at it. I mean, hard work is, is important and sometimes it is work and sometimes it's not a lot of fun but for the most part you have to really enjoy something in order to achieve excellence within that thing and that's what i was saying well if you don't really like math that much i don't know how you can say in a sense you've failed if you have not rigorously applied yourself to something that you don't really find enjoyable like for instance for me studying foreign languages hell itself <laughs> it 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 literally like studying new computer languages the very stuff of heaven st- studying human languages all of the irrational accumulation of crap that that we call human language that that's horrible to me like i pay good money to, to never never do that you know there's these uh, um there's these these ads for for learning language you know like he was a farm boy from iowa he only had one chance to meet the supermodel from italy and impress her and it's like I don't care how hot the supermodel is from Italy if I can get through life without learning Italian. Or there's an old saying that said life is – no matter how long you live, life is too short to, to learn German. Um, so that to me is – now other people, like there's a, not the actor but the explorer, so Richard Burton from I think 19th century. The guy knew like dozens of languages and he picked them up like nobody's business. And it was sort of – like the, the language acquisition modules that we all have as infants probably just stayed up in his brain uh, throughout his life. So some people can pick up languages very easily and for other people it's very tough. Now for me to say I'm going to go and be a translator, could I do it? Well, I guess to some degree, but it really would be like pushing a whole lot of rocks uphill because I don't like it, you know, and I've, I've studied, uh, I I spoke German apparently quite well when I was very young. Uh, I've studied German, I've studied French uh, and I can maybe get by in a restaurant (laughs) for about 20 minutes. So, I don't. Do I say, well, you know, I, when I was young, I spoke two languages, English and German, and I squandered my multilingual abilities. It's like, no, because I don't like it. You know, I, I have squandered my considerable youthful potential as a gay male escort <laughs> because, you know, when I was young, I'm not an inconsiderable spatter of hotness clung to my meaty frame. But I, you know, I don't enjoy gay sex. I don't It's just the way I'm wired. So I don't feel like I've really squandered the gay male prostitute capacity. Plus, when you look at Vestra Flanagan, you see that it doesn't always have the best best outcomes. So when if you don't like math, I don't see how you've squandered your abilities or your potential in math if, if you don't like to do it.
2: Yeah, that is a very good point. And I, I think I agree with you on that. You convinced me. Good just don't, don't think if you I have failed at, at not applying myself I have failed at applying myself
0: at things I don't like to do. Uh, it's an old line from a movie uh, just because you have a big dick doesn't mean you have to do porn. <laughs> so okay. so I just really wanted to to point that out that um, now if there's something that you love to do. And you chicken out of doing it because you're afraid of rejection. And everything you love comes with vulnerability. If you love something, it comes with vulnerability. If you're really attracted to a woman, it really matters whether she says yes or no when you ask her out. If you really want to bring philosophy to the world, then it matters whether you're successful or not. And so whatever you love is this big giant sign over a sometimes cold world saying, press here for pain. <laughs> and um, so, so that challenge of doing something you love and this big giant invitation to, to be hurt by people for, for whatever it is that you love. And most people, when they love something, uh, if they're surrounded by not so nice people, which most people are in this world, if you love something, that becomes something that people can use to mock or denigrate or put you down or something like that. And it happens with people who love this show. And this show is the kind of thing where you, there's not a lot of middle ground. You're going to love it. You're going to hate it, which is more a test of you right. than it is of so, me. So uh,
2: do you think um, – yes. Yeah, so, think... so just a okay, second. Let me,
0: let me finish my point. So – So people who love this show, people will mock them. Like I loved certain bands and certain acts uh, and certain albums when I was younger, and people used my enthusiasm for it to to mock me, to, to oh, you know, he's just obsessed by this. it just put you down, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you really want to do something, it exposes the kindness or cruelty of the people around you. If you really, really want to do something, it exposes the kindness and the cruelty of the people around you, if and when you try to do it. And so a lot of people shy away from pursuing their passions because they're afraid of everyone around them. And those people who succeed in pursuing their passions either get supportive people around them or learn somehow to, I don't know how, but learn somehow to ignore the negativity of those around them. And uh, every time you aim at something great, you are... Open to accusations of arrogance and vanity. I make no bones about it. I want to be the best philosopher in the world. I'd love to be the best philosopher who ever lived. That's my goal. And uh, people get upset. Oh, arrogant if I, if I had a dime, right, for every time people called me arrogant. Okay, so I have high ambitions. Do you think Taylor Swift said, I'm aiming for the middle, or Freddie Mercury said, ah, I'm going to hit some baritone notes. Forget all that falsetto stuff. <laughs> sounds kind of gay. It Sounds like John Anderson on helium right so i mean you you aim for for greatness if you really want to achieve something and that exposes people around you who will either be supportive or undermine you and the worst mm-hmm. way that people undermine you is by ignoring what it is that you're doing this show uh, and this show and my marriage was the great test of the people around me when i was younger i mean we just passed a 10 year anniversary of my first podcast in October and way back in the day, I I recognized that I finally was going to have the opportunity to do something great with my life. Not just good. I did some good things before, but something truly great. And uh, I was very enthusiastic about the possibilities of doing something like this and um, the degree to which people around me ignored it or undermined it or put it down or whatever, right? Just kind of with the wet blankets on the volcanic fires of my enthusiasm was the degree to which I had a choice. I can either stay small and I can... Pursue the approval of the tiny little people around me, or I can aim big, um, you know. And if people hang on to the rocket, then they can. If they fall off, well, the rocket's got to go. So, uh, from that standpoint, if you have had something that you passionately want to do and you chickened out because you're afraid of the disapproval of people around you or the rejection of other people, you know, like my youthful and up until middle-aged, and, and still even now, considerable enthusiasm for objectivism and Ayn Rand, how people just made fun of it. It's a Randroid, you know? Like, they never, ever debated the actual content of the ideas. It was all just this dismal mockery uh, of things with, with no, it just bring it down, bring it down, claw it down, claw it down. So when I stride into the world confident and assertive and with my ambitions uh, aimed straight, hopefully not Icarus light at the heart of the sun, set the controls for the heart of the sun. That's an old Pink Floyd song, which I remember, oh, yeah, that's a description of my podcast career. But um, a- if you aim high and then people start to undermine and attack and mock and all that kind of stuff because everybody deep deep down wants to be great, but they're terrified of being mocked for any ambition, um, then that is a different matter. But if it's something you didn't want to do and you failed at it, well, you kind of succeeded. It's like, Failing at not, uh, what you don't want to do is actually succeeding.
2: Mm, okay. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with uh, all of that. And I've, I'm taking steps to actually pursue my my real passions and not just uh, uh, just do what other people want me to do. And, yeah, I, I totally agree with what, what you all said there. And I uh, just wanted to um, ask another question, which is uh, sort of connected to this, which is what do you think is um, – the the relationship between um stressful environments and uh talent and hard work so like um Mm -hmm. when i when you look at let's see um the writers from russia like in the 17th century to um to later centuries you see like a very stark differences in the um in the writing, and you see a lot more uh, concepts, literary concepts that are being introduced to the field, uh, and that's and I think that's caused by the the Soviet takeover and the, the stressful environments that's caused by that. And similarly, um, people I think people in general cannot. Uh, uh, in general, well, I'm not saying everyone, but in general, they have to have some sort of stress in order for them to excel or, you know, sort of meet their potential.
0: Yeah, I, I You said I think you said 17th century Russian writers. Did you mean 19th century? I think that was the great flowering of Russian
2: writers. Um, yeah, yeah. Like be, oh, 17th, Dostoevsky and, uh, uh, Yeah, yeah. comparing 17th century to 18th and 19th century writers, there's a difference. Between. It's
0: not it's not stress, I think, that breeds great art, because throughout throughout humanity's life, stress has been constant and, and in general. It's the hope of ending stress, I think, that breeds the greatest art. Otherwise, the greatest art would come out of, I don't know, people facing terminal illnesses or, or people in concentration camps or people in prison. Or, I, I, those people are undergoing considerable and enormous stress, people in war zones and so on. But generally, we don't see great art coming out of that. Uh, in the 19th century in particular, there was a potential for Russia to leave behind its barbarous medieval past and join the 20th century, I guess the 19th century at that time, but join the modern world. And that produced a great outflowering of art. The same thing could be said for Weimar Germany in the 1920s and so I think when there's hope art is like a, a wheel that spins and it only really rotates fast when it has rubber on the road when, when when you can do something about it I mean nothing feeds art like its effect and so you need an environment where you can actually have an effect on the world and that's what feeds your drive and your desire To communicate with the world is that people are listening and doing something and changing Mm
3: -hmm. about
0: their lives. So I I wouldn't say it's stress necessarily. I think it's hope. uh, When you can can communicate to a world that's willing to listen where there's enough freedom of speech that you can speak your mind, then I think uh, artists feel very uh, enthusiastic. Now, during a time of transition, there is a lot of stress in society. And um, it's called Growth Panic by Lloyd DeMoss and some of the other psychohistorians. And when it's basically the, 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 the change that can occur intergenerationally between parenting standards, for instance, like a more modern uh, parenting, a more modern and gentle parenting standards versus, versus older and harsher pedagogical methods, that is uh, stressful. Because you have a transitional generation, right? So if you're, uh, you were raised in a spanking or verbally abusive, physically abusive environment, and then you decide not to do that to your kids, well, your kids grow up peacefully, you're the one who's the transitional generation. Your parents are putting unconscious pressure on you to hit your children you are resisting that which is painful for your own history and your children hopefully are growing up shielded from that kind of aggression by you but you are the transitional person that is stressful because now it's less stressful if you simply don't have anything to do with abusive parents that's a topic for another time but um it is that is a challenge but of course you're only able to do that because you hope or you believe that your children will do better off and that the world is heading in that direction and you're part of that movement towards more peaceful parenting. Uh, you know, you wouldn't necessarily, like if you knew for sure that the world was heading into a war, a brutal war in 10 years, then peaceful parenting might not be your optimal strategy for survival or whatever. I don't know, maybe it would be. But uh, I think that the, the feeling is that there's, there's hope in the future. You can change something. You can achieve something. And people are willing to listen uh, to what it is that you have to say. I think that comes out of hope and some elements of artistic or philosophical freedom to to speak or to write or to communicate as you see fit. I think that opportunity is, um, is what drives things. I mean, Dostoevsky was a great writer when he started out and then he got involved in this revolutionary gang and he was thrown in prison. He spent eight months in solitary confinement in a prison so inhumane that even the guards wore felt shoes when walking up and down the hallways because you were supposed to be in darkness and in silence Mm. to repent of what you had done. And then he was uh, tried, a kangaroo trial, as you can imagine. He was in a kangaroo court. He was dragged out into a courtyard. He was hauled up in front of a firing squad. And a few seconds before, his head was going to get blown off. His sentence was commuted to 10 years in Siberia where he went and then later wrote notes from the House of the Dead or memoirs from the House of the Dead, which is a great and terrifying book uh, on the Gulag system in the 19th century, which was far less brutal, of course, than the Gulag system of the 20th century. And uh, so, yeah, the man went through a lot of stress. He actually became, I would argue, addicted to stress because then he um, became a gambling addict and uh, he I don't think he could function without cortisol. Uh, and other stress hormones. I've actually read his his new bride wrote a whole bunch of memoirs and, and kept a diary about their time stuck in the gambling casinos, and uh, it was just a brutal uh, and exhausting environment. So he was definitely going through some stress. But you know, the question is, where were the Dostoevskys in the twentieth century while well, they were killed? Which was even, or or they shut up because it was even more stressful for them than it was for Dostoevsky, and that reduced the power of their art. Where were the great Chinese writers during Mao's cultural revolution? Well, they, mm, they yeah. were too scared, right? The smart, I mean, Point. it takes a certain amount of intelligence to be a great artist. And that means, you know, which way the wind is blowing to some degree. So, uh, so I think that stress can be helpful. And, and I think stress is one of these Aristotelian means like too little is not great for you. You get bored and, and too much. just sort of overwhelms your system. And, um, so, I do uh, think that there's a time in the boxer stuff where you yeah. have to watch out your addiction to cortisol. If you're, uh, you know, like that old line from, uh, finding Nemo, you got serious thrill issues,
2: dude.
0: <laughs> so does that help at all?
2: Uh, yeah, that kind of helps, but I just wanted to uh, go back to what you just said about, uh, you, you can't have too much stress or the Aristotelian mean of stress. And, but when you, uh, when you have a, an environment where there's too little stress, like when, um, so I'm thinking in a free market society where there are no governments at all. And so you have this wonderful, wonderful environment for um, cultivating new vi- businesses. And so there's less stress involved in that process compared to now. And because there's uh, less stress or less uh, hope that you need to, to um, like start a business or something, do you, do you think that in a free society, it, it'll be a little bit more difficult than, than in our current situation?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I but what I would say is that our tendency to go to a tendency to become lazy and are selected in times of abundance is one of the main reasons why we can't have a state, right? Because the, the general cycle is uh, that the people fought and and bled and died by the millions to achieve some kind of freedom, particularly economic freedom. But also, if you look at John Milton's *Areopagitica*, this argument for free speech, which apparently has been completely forgotten, they just did a a guerrilla filmmaker did a sort of pseudo study in, on Yale, where he went around the campus and he asked asked a bunch of students whether they'd sign a petition to repeal the First Amendment and freedom of speech. And the majority of them said, "Sounds great. Thank you for coming out here." Uh, So they were basically signing a petition that took away their right to sign a petition. So good job, public schools. Good job, ladies. You're in charge of childhood and now nobody wants any free speech. It can't be because women don't say anything that radical in general. Can't be anything to do with that, can it? But um, so people, you know, fight and bleed and die and experience social ostracism and attack and get thrown in prison to achieve some kind of freedom. That freedom produces a massive amount of uh, wealth and then governments rush in and uh, scoop up that wealth and redistribute it for votes, making people lazy and dependent on the system. And um, that destroys the genetic basis, the, the, the hormonal basis, as I think Jim Penman would say, for high achievement. And there are some significant arguments now uh, that we're just, in general, as a species, getting dumber. And sure, uh, my, the mind is a muscle, and you, you put... Someone in the Democrat-fed and Republican-fed amniotic sack of the welfare state and their brains turn to fucking jellyfish. Like the, the mind is that people say, oh, you know, why, why are the Native Americans uh, doing so badly? It's because they're coddled. Because the, the whole point, the brain is a problem-solving machine. And it, it, like every muscle in your body, it needs resistance in order to strengthen And so people fight for freedoms. Freedoms produce abundance. The government scoops up that abundance and hands it out to everyone. And then everyone gets lazy and dependent on the government. And the whole system crashes and rinse and repeat. Now, in a free society, if you're stress averse, okay, well, there's things that you can do. If you want to embrace stress, there's still going to be challenges in a free society. I mean, there's, you know, there's still going to be, um, you know, you may want to write some fantastic new song. You may want to invent some wonderful new machine. and, And there's going to be resistance of the people who already have You know, their existing investment in something like if if they've invested in driverless cars and you come up with teleportation, then they're going (laughs) to have some problems with you, right? And there's going to be hostility. I mean, how long is it going to take until the world practices peaceful parenting? Okay, we have a job to do for the next X generations and X is not one. So the problem is that when there's a state, excess breeds enslavement, serfdom and dependence, And if you don't have a state, then there will still be challenges and there will be charity, but um, you will at least have the option. I mean, everybody wants this nirvana where you get everything you want and the robots deliver mommy, I mean, all the goods that you want and so on. Uh, That is usually not a very um, beneficial state for human beings. Now, you had a question sort of about talent. Um, Let me give you a brief A brief sort of thing on that. The data seems to be shifting quite a bit. So Malcolm Gladwell made a very good case, I think, relative to the Beatles and and Mozart and other people about just 10,000 hours. Now, recently, someone did a meta-analysis of 88 studies on deliberate practice. Uh, And now it turns out practice accounts for just a 12% difference in performance in various domains. And it very much depends on the domain. You could make a case. So in games, practice made for a 26% difference. In music, it was a 21% difference. In sports, an 18% difference. In education, a 4% difference. In professions, more or less practice accounted for a 1% difference in outcomes. And uh, that is uh, really a challenge um, to sort of process. So people have made a good case and Malcolm Gladwell is a fine writer and a good researcher. who made a good case for it. But the data is, at least the new data, seems to be challenging that. So, again, much though I like theses as everyone else does, the important thing is to change, right, depending on what new information provides it. So, uh, Franz Johansson' book called The Click Moment, When Youthful Boys Find porn. Uh, in it, he argues that deliberate practice is only a predictor of success in fields that have super stable structures. In tennis, chess, and classical music, the rules never change, so you can study to become the best. But in less stable fields like entrepreneurship and rock and roll, rules can go out the window. And uh, lower IQ people, like, you have to practice consciously in order to get better at something. And I, I remember this lesson from when I was young. Um, I played uh, pickup soccer games once or twice, sometimes three times a week with friends when I was a kid. And um, I did this for many years. We never practiced. We never did any drills. We just basically ran and kicked the ball around and stuff. And we ended up playing a rival group or whatever who had done this kind of stuff. And they just they kicked their ass. Because <laughs> we were basically just out there running around kicking the ball going, I'm open. <laughs> Pass to me. And, you know, uh, but these other people who'd actually consciously tried to improve their skills, well, they, they kicked our butts. And it wasn't even close. And we'd all been playing around the same amount of time. And so that uh, is important. So you have to practice consciously. In other words, you have to attack your weaknesses. You have to have a coach. You have to do the stuff that you don't want to do and all of that. Now, low IQ people, they don't practice as well because they tend to low IQ people have a problem with deferring gratification. In fact, I would argue to some degree that high intelligence is simply a byproduct of what is necessary to defer, defer gratification. The deferral of gratification being the basis of civilization and case selection and so on so uh, low iq people don't correct their mistakes because they don't want to defer the gratification of getting something done we just wanted to go and there's nothing wrong with what we did as a soccer team we just because what we wanted to do was go out and run around and have fun and and all that and so that was exactly i didn't want to become a professional soccer player or anything like that but um so deliberate practice is important it's just According to the latest research, it's less important than has been argued. The study's lead, lead, lead author, Brooke McNamara, said in a statement, quote, for scientists, the important question now is what else matters? And uh, again, I something to do with pleasure and, and all that. So as far as talent goes, the way I was sort of thinking about it before the show, I'll give you this brief analogy and see if it if it makes any sense. To be... A great musician you obviously have a certain amount of musical ability you have to have very good pitch if not perfect pitch you've got to get physical dexterity big long brian may spider hands don't don't hurt but when you become a musician you have a choice i'm just thinking of rock and roll musician right so there was a uh, the, the members of queen were in a band called i think Smile or something like that before. Now, Freddie Mercury just kind of hung around, you know, best singer in the world. He's <laughs> lugging your amp around. And he was listening to them and, he, and, and they were doing cover songs. They did some original songs, but a lot of cover songs. And he's like, you've you got to write your own material. You'd never make it in the business of music without original material. If you... And he, he had a point. You really convinced them. Like, we just And they came up with Queen One, not a great album. Queen Two, which is a challenging but fantastic album. And then they there's Sheer Heart Attack. And and then Night of the Opera Day at the Races. I don't know if that's all in order, but some fantastic stuff. And when you into music, if you want to be a cover band, then you'll... If you're good musicians and you're a cover band, then you'll do okay, right? You'll get booked at bars. You'll play people's weddings you'll make a kind of steady-ish income and you'll do okay you'll do okay you won't starve you're probably not going to be mega rich if you're a cover band right all right Mm -hmm. now if you write your own material one of two things is going to (laughs) happen you're either going to make a fortune or you're going to make negative money because if you're a bar band you can go get paid and and tour and and all that kind of stuff If you write your own songs, either people are going to love them or they're not going to care. In which, if they don't care, you're not making the money touring bars because you're not playing cover music and all that. You're writing your own stuff. And that means risking rejection. See, if you become a bar band, a wedding band, you're not really going to risk that much rejection. But if you write your own music, you're putting your heart out there. And you're risking a lot of rejection. And um, that is a challenge. Now... I think that there's a certain amount of willed courage that it takes to simply say, I'm going to put my own thoughts out there. I'm going to put my own ideas out there. I'm going to put my own music out there and let it sink or swim on its own merits. You have to be tough enough to risk rejection in order to achieve anything great in this world. Now, the talent, okay, you can play music and you can sit down, you understand music and so on, but that willed choice to say, I'm going to write my own music and I'm going to risk being rejected, and I'm going to risk spectacular failure. If you write your own music, you either write your... You basically can put whatever you want in zeros in your bank account with a one in front of it, or you're going to make nothing. And from that standpoint, there's a choice there. There's a choice, which is I'm going to take the safe route, or I'm going to take the win big or win lose route. And again... It's not a better or worse choice. But I think people need to be aware of these choices. Like, listen, I was thinking about this in terms of my own career as a media guy. And if I had played it safe, things would be very different. In some ways, they'd be better. And in some ways, they'd be worse. If I'd played it safe. Like, if I'd been standard libertarian guy or standard objectivist guy. Uh, you know, putting new analogies on old thoughts and becoming very well learned in libertarian thought or objectivist thought. And if, if I had stayed within, if I'd colored within the libertarian lines, let's say, then things would be different for me, better or worse. I know which, which I've preferred, and I've preferred what it is that I've done. But libertarians don't really talk about parenting libertarians certainly don't talk about that much about art they don't talk much about dreams they don't talk much about self-knowledge they don't talk much about spanking they don't talk about relationships really and so I believed and that the data led me that way that this was what needed to be done And there's not a lot of libertarians who suggest disengaging from academics and politics to change the world because that's the standard idea. Libertarianism is let's go out and teach people about the free market and then they'll prefer the free market. To which I say, well, there are a lot of free market academics who don't want to go out into the wild world of podcasting or speech uh, giving or book writing in the free market. They want to stay in the cozy amniotic sack of Academia. So even if we gave everyone a PhD in economics, given the people who have PhDs in economics who don't want to have anything to do with the free market and want to stay in academia where they can't be fired uh, every couple of years, they get sabbaticals and uh, they get summers off. Well, they want to stay doing that. So it doesn't matter how much education you give people about the free market. If the people with the most education about the free market don't want to have anything to do with the free market, more education isn't going to help. If I had gone the standard atheist route, then I could have done all of that stuff, right? and and written about and talked about all of that kind of stuff. But atheists don't like talking about the free market very much because the atheism in the West comes out of the um, communist slash socialist tradition, so they tend to all be a bunch of statists. And um so if I had been standard, even even a minarchist, right a minarchist is infinitely easier to to flog. In the marketplace of ideas, than straight on voluntarism or anarchism. So, if I had gone the route of being a cover band, (laughs) then uh, things would have been quite different. And, but I chose to write my own own material. I chose to look at the data and think originally from the ground up as best I could. And uh, I'm very, very happy with that decision it's not always been the easiest decision just as it's not always the easiest decision to write your own material you have to work a lot harder to write your own material than you do how to you know be a cover band right be a cover band hey we've learned mustang sally we've got a little bit of unchained melody you know we got uh, rock around the clock we got give me some love and we got the you know and you learn all that stuff and then you just do that for the next 30 years and uh you don't have to sit there saying okay I had to sit down. I got to spend months writing material. I've got to get into the studio. I don't need to get into the studio if you are a cover band. And uh, then you've got to find a way to distribute your music. And you've got to try and get it on the radio. You need managers. You need agents. I don't know what what goes on with this kind of stuff. But it's a, it's a lot more time consuming. And for me to work on the original ideas that I've had, which are, you know, people want to get the books at freedomainradiocom slash free, That's taken a lot more work than simply doing the cover band of libertarianism, atheism, (laughs) minarchism, objectivism, and so on. And people can do what they want. This is, you know, uh, this is not an argument for one or the other. But although I do believe that original thought is far more satisfying, although it can be challenging for people and for the original thinker at times. So as far as talent and work goes, well, it's a lot easier to be a cover band, but you're not adding anything to the musical store of mankind by doing you know a great version of down by the river <laughs> or take me to the river and so what you want is to add if you have the capacity right because some people they don't want to work that hard they just want to be a cover band they want to learn these nine chords and uh and that's what they that's what they do so they can go on autopilot and you know you Got eight kids or got other things? Yes, fine. You know, go for it, right? You can work in a cubicle or you can start your own company. So as far as talent versus hard work goes, I think that I don't know the degree to which other people are capable of, ri- of ri- original thought. I genuinely don't know that. Uh, I thought I did. And what, then biology you think? came along. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know the degree to which other people are are capable of original thought. I certainly would make the case that it is the best thing to pursue for the world, and it's the best thing to pursue for the future. And um, I find that playing it safe is like being uh, in an old McDonald's song, you know? (laughs) I've decided to play it safe. (laughs) So uh, playing it safe, uh, you kind of want to, you know... you, you. You want to play it safe enough that you don't have a heart attack, but you don't want to play it so safe that you die of boredom. I think it's that sort of middle ground. And um, so I'm very happy that I was not a cover artist, because for many years I was a cover band for libertarianism, minarchism, and objectivism. And that was not where I was destined to be. And... um, At least that's not where I shouldn't say. Justin, that's not where I chose to be.
1: Right.
0: I chose to continue to push on to think as originally as I could to make a compelling a case for the non-aggression principle consistently through the state, through the family, through relationships, through everything that I could get my hands on, and to make an original case for morality called universally preferable behavior. And that is fantastic. That has been gloriously uh, satisfying. And that is, I think, why the show has become so successful because if you really want to be successful, you have to be original. You have to be original. Nobody can say, pay me a million dollars to be your wedding singer. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I guess you can get the Eagles to play (laughs) Don Henley, sting these people will play your parties if you're some Saudi prince, perhaps. But, uh, Because the one thing they're not making more of is you. And if you really want to be successful, you have to be original. Because taking a picture of the Mona Lisa is a lot easier than painting it from scratch. And so for me, the uniqueness of who I am and the uniqueness of who you are, Taiwan, is where the real value is going to be. This is why people who are themselves and no one else make so much money if they're in demand, right? There's no Brad Pitt downgrade. <laughs> Jeremy Renner. I don't know. <laughs> but there's no, there's no, like if if, if you want Brad Pitt, you got to pay for Brad Pitt. And that's why you got to pay a guy 10 million bucks to be in your movie. If you want Jason Bourne, you've got to go to Matt Damon. You got to, you know, step over the shadowy, humping sounds of uh, his best friend uh, in the bushes with a maid, get to his house and get him signed up. And um, so if you want to succeed truly, you you must bring that which is uniquely yours and uniquely you to the marketplace. And that means you're either going to succeed or fail. And um, I think that the world needs big successes in the realm of human excellence. Yeah, I agree. Um, yes. Harrison Ford was paid 56 times his Star Wars co-stars, partly because they had him flying after a plane accident. Um, he could make $34 million for apprising his role as Han Solo in Star Wars. In fact, Obi-Wan Kenobi, the actor Alec Guinness, Alec Guinness had a long an incredibly illustrious career as an actor before he showed up as uh, Tall Yoda. And uh, what was sad was, <laughs> I guess, sort of sad. You got to see him as Fagan in the old uh, Oliver Twist. It's terrifying, fantastic. But um, it's wild that Alec Guinness made more money from his appearance in one Star Wars movie than the rest of his career combined. Wow combined and um, yeah Carrie Fisher was paid 1.5 million dollars and she had to spend 1.4 million of that on Botox injections that basically turned her into a giant pufferfish of Pink Floyd the wall face inanimate she's got wonderful acting eyes but her face is like frozen pizza but yeah so he got <laughs> British newcomers John Boyega and Daisy Ridley got 450k to play the movie no share of the film's earnings yeah ford got 56 times that and uh he's why the film works he is uh very and he he, if i remember rightly and I, i think he basically got the job george lucas made a film called american graffiti originally and harrison ford was a wannabe actor who was a carpenter and he was working on George Lucas's house, and George Lucas said, "This is like the angriest guy I've ever seen. He's just seething the whole time. the whole time he's around, he's angry." <laughs> and um, he ended up uh, offering him a chance to audition. He was very briefly in um, American Graffiti, and then, of course, he was uh, Han Solo. But um, and actually, J.J. Abrams, I think, and Harrison Ford worked together way back in the day on a film called Regarding Henry about, uh, well, it doesn't really matter. It's not not a bad film. Actually, one of the first films I went to go and see on my own. It doesn't really matter. Anyway, so be who you are, uniquely who you are, and let people love and hate you for that. And the people who love you will love you for the example you provide of the value of authenticity and integrity, and the people who hate you will hate you because you provide the value of authenticity and integrity, which they're too cowardly to do or have set themselves in opposition to. So, as far as talent versus hard work goes, what's that line, the old line from the song Englishman in New York, be yourself no matter what they say. So, yeah, be, be yourself, pursue your passions, um, and try not to flog yourself. Life should be about richness and pleasure and love. And do something you love. Enjoy the richness of achievement. Enjoy the richness of failure. Enjoy the richness of failure. You know, we wouldn't have light bulbs if Thomas Edison wasn't willing to fail hundreds of times to produce the right filaments and the right electricity current and so on, right? Enjoy the richness of failure. Enjoy the richness of success. Enjoy the surprises of success. Work for weeks on videos that do virtually nothing, and I sit down and rip off fifteen minutes of a rant that does three quarters of a million views. I don't know. <laughs> we sort of given up. Maybe everybody would do Bohemian Rhapsody every time if they could, but they can't. And um, but I, I think the, the whipping yourself is is bad. You know, I, I sometimes think I spend a lot of time on philosophy, and I sometimes think shouldn't I be out there learning how to like be a great motorcycle rider or learn how to surf or, you know, whatever it is. Like, shouldn't I be <laughs> out there? I with have big that blue with all the time. People? Yeah. You know, I mean, my daughter is going through a bit of a fail army phase. So we watched some of the more gentle fail army videos. That can be kind of funny, but I'm like, shouldn't I be learning how to skateboard like that? As if I were young, <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't I be learning how to flip on skis and, Shouldn't I be out there doing all these cool things that I see in GQ magazine, which basically humbles me with my lack of athletic prowess and significant absence of abs. Um, and, um, you know, so this, you know, the, the, the life is more fun just over the horizon or somewhere else or where this picture is. If I go into this picture, it would be great if I buy this car and have this beer. But, um, no, enjoy the richness of your every day and do what you're passionate about Because you love it. I mean, you know, it's the old saying, but it's true. If you find a way to make money at what you love, you'll never have to work a day in your life. And it's very rare that this show feels like work. Occasionally. But for the most part, it's something to look forward to. And, and, you know, like I used to have, I think, like a lot of people, especially because, you know, my life, when I got married with my wife, and still is now. This is just a wonderful joy. So we'd have these great weekends and then Sunday night, it'd be like, I don't to go back to work. Right? I and mean, we used to have that same thing on Sunday nights as well when it came to going back to school. But now, you know, like uh, today, it was like, oh, I got a show tonight. Great. <laughs> Can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. And so that is um, a big rambling mud bowl of who knows what. But I hope it makes some kind of <laughs> sense to you.
2: Yeah, it made total sense to me. Yeah,
0: that was very helpful. All right. Well, thanks, uh, man, and uh, I hope you uh, you find your bliss and uh, overtake it with uh, with fire.
2: All right. Yeah. Thanks for the thanks for the conversation. Thanks, man. Yeah.
1: Bye. All right. Well, up next is Brian. Brian wrote in and said, "What are your thoughts on the work of John Rawls? How do his central ideas compare to yours? Which of his ideas do you agree with the most, and which do you agree with the least?" Are his ideas on justice compatible in any way, shape, or form with a free society? Overall, do you feel that John Rawls helped or hurt the field of philosophy? And to what degree has this helped or hurt society as a result?
0: Yeah, we've talked about John Rawls a bunch of times on this show, so I'll I'll keep this relatively brief and people can do a search through the podcast archives. I'm no expert on John Rawls, but I did take a philosophy of law class where he figured rather prominently when I was an undergraduate student, and very briefly, John Rawls made a proposition something like this. He said, look, imagine that you are a soul floating in the ether above the world before you're born, and you don't know what form your life is going to take. You don't know if you're going to be born rich or poor or smart or dumb You don't know if you're going to be a genius or mentally handicapped, a man or a woman, a black or white. You don't know any of these things. But you know you're going to be born. And imagine that you could construct a society from beyond that veil of ignorance. What kind of society would you construct? And he said, I bet you would construct something like this. You would say, I want a society that has enough freedoms that if I have high capacity high intelligence, high ambition, that I can achieve that ambition. That I, I'm not going to, like, I don't want some communist society where everyone makes the same because what if I'm amazing at stuff? Then I want to have the scope to pursue and achieve that, that ambition. So I definitely want some free market stuff. On the other hand, what if I'm born mentally handicapped or, or what if I'm born with some sickly disease or, or what if I'm born I'm just not that smart or what if I'm just not ambitious or whatever it is, right? That I'm going to want some kind of social safety net. Because as his argument, what if it's pure free market and I'm born behind the eight ball or somehow disadvantaged, then I'm going to want a safety net to, to take care of me. And so he said, isn't it interesting, when he was writing this stuff, isn't it interesting that we have a free market system that has a social safety net? And that is actually exactly the kind of system that we would construct if we were able to think of the ideal system from beyond the veil of ignorance prior to birth, not knowing how or with what skills and abilities we were going to get born with. So that was his, one of his central arguments. And um, it's not philosophy that's the problem. Right? There's, There's an old approach to trying to convince people. And I don't know what the Latin phrase exactly is, but it goes something like this. Scare the shit out of people. And that is not philosophy. You know, philosophy is not this. Boo! (laughs) It's not philosophy. That's just frightening people. And John Rawls was updating an old argument called Pascal's Wager, and it goes back even further than that. And Pascal's Wager was the argument that said, all right, you bloody atheist. (laughs) Let's say that you're right, there's no God. Okay, so you live your life as an atheist. Fine, you don't have to get up early on Sundays, you don't have to pay a tithe or whatever it is, and then you die, and you're food for worms, and that's it. You have no more life in you than there are announcers in the radio after you turn it off. (sniffs) Done. On the other hand, he said, if you're wrong, and there is a God, then you're going to hell. Booyah. Down into the deep and dirty, baby. You are going down into hell itself. And not the fun kind of Bill and Ted's album cover hell, but the really bad stuff. And so hell is forever, and hell is permanent torture and everything, so it's not a good idea. Because what you gain is a small amount of convenience in the here and now, but you risk hell forever. So the rational course of action is to um, get up, go to church, pay your tithe, and so on, right? That's called Pascal's wager. And um, I'm not saying that he necessarily was forward to get us. It's just this is a way of... And But all it does is invite people to scare the shit out of you to get you to do what they want. That's all. <clears throat> climate change. So it is a... Um, it's a fallacious... It's, not, it's a non-argument. It's a non-argument. Um... Here's another more secular version that you've probably heard. And it goes something like this. You see, let's say you have difficult and unbearable and abusive parents. And you don't see them because you listen to feminists who say you shouldn't be in abusive relationships. (laughs) And let's say that somebody hears about this or you see this portrayed in a movie. I can tell you what most people will say. Most people are as predictable as a fortune cookie you've already read. (laughs) And so what they'll say is, well, you see, it may give you some relief now not to see your abusive dad. But when he dies, when he dies, you are going to be so full of regret that you did not find a way to get close to him, you're going to be so full of regret and that regret will haunt you and follow you for the rest of your day. So go and make peace with him because otherwise, regret, regret. Right? So in other words, you have to do something that you find objectionable, which is to stay in contact and make yourself vulnerable to somebody who's proven himself to be relentlessly abusive because otherwise, this magical evil voodoo curse called regret will swarm into your brain and make its home there like a hive of conscious, stinging wasps. And it's only wasps who are generally susceptible to this, as in white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. But anyway, that is the more secular version. And uh, it's only really applied in general to the more independent (coughs) male uh, people in society. You don't really see... That, um, you know, if a woman says, my husband's abusive, everyone says leave, they don't say, well, you've got to find a way to make peace with him and to love him again and have him in your life and have him over every week for tea, because otherwise you're going to be full of regret, (laughs) regret, you're going to curse with regret. So that's a form of Pascal's a wager. It's not an argument. It's simply do what I say or dire consequences. Um, That's not really philosophy. That's blackmail. I mean, you you try that outside John Rawls' theory of justice or, say, the Catholic teachings of hell or this uh, secular cursing you with regret if you don't conform to the wishes of abusive people. Uh, You try that outside that context and you're like a mafia shakedown artist, you know? It's a uh, nice restaurant you got here. It'd be a real shame if something happened to it. You better pay us 500 bucks a month just so nothing bad does. I'm not saying it will. I'm just saying something bad might happen to it unless we see the 500 a month, right? And, and so that's, you know, we can't prove that something bad's going to happen to it, but it might. So you feel uneasy, you pay the money to get rid of the unease, right? Because you're case selected. So that's right. Duke Nukem needs his money too. So that's not philosophy. It's not an argument from first principles. Now, the difference with John Rawls is he appeals not just to your fear, but to your greed as well, which is really quite effective, right? And so John Rawls says, okay, well, you don't want to starve to death if you're born stupid and mentally handicapped. But at the same time, if you're really smart, you don't want to be stuck uh, making the same amount of money as the guy who cleans out your toilet. And so you want some free market. You want some welfare state. And that is the very best of hell, right? So that's his. It's not, it's not an argument. It's an appeal to fear and it's to, an appeal to greed. You don't want to starve. But you want to make a lot of money too, right? So that's, it's not philosophy. It's not philosophy. And it's, there's no principles. Where's the moral principle? It's an appeal to fear and it's appeal to greed. Where's the moral principle? There's no moral principle there. There's no universalization. There's nothing to do with the categorical imperative or UPB or whatever it is that you'd want to characterize it as. And so it's not philosophy. And it has nothing. It's manipulation. It's all it is. It's, uh, you know, give money to the government or you'll drown. <laughs> right. Or we'll, we'll take flamethrowers to the polar bear's last remaining icicle. Uh, and so uh, this, give us money or doom. This is, this is standard what is called philosophy. And this guy is saying, yeah, you know, give government money. Otherwise, you'll starve. But don't give the government all your power, because otherwise you won't be able to make a lot of money. Okay, appeal to fear, appeal to greed. Why, why does that have to do with philosophy? It doesn't. And it's not an accident. Like, one of the big insights I had over the last year was just the realization that there's no such thing as the history of philosophy. There's no such thing as a famous philosopher at all throughout the vast majority of human history. I would really argue up until the Internet, philosophy's only really had a chance for the last uh, 10 or years or so. And the reason being that, why is a philosopher famous? A philosopher is famous because making him famous serves the needs of the powers that be. It serves the needs of the rulers. So they elevate him to a position of authority to intimidate other people into bowing to that which the rulers have already decreed. So the fact that John Rawls became famous because he was advocating a system that was already in place that people were in charge of. Well, whoop de doo. Whoop de doo. Shockingly, a very intelligent and eloquent man who praises the king is praised by the king. What a miracle! <laughs> Strangely enough, a person who praises diversity is also praised by Barack Obama and all the social justice warrior jellyfish goop heads on the planet. Wow, I can't believe it. It's amazing to me. <laughs> I don't think Charles Murray is getting his invitation to the NAACP anytime soon, or even um, Turkheimer for that matter. So, the fact that John Rawls licks the boots of the masters. And says, oh, the system that you're in charge of is the very best system, don't you know? Yes, you are a great philosopher. We're going to elevate you and give you pictures of you in front of a lot of books, see? Because the fact that you're praising the system we're in charge of means that we really want to praise you. You know, Dante, who reaffirmed the medieval worldview, very famous poet. Ah, on the nature of things not quite so well known. So, what is, what is the history of philosophy? The history of philosophy, up until very recently, is generally the history of eloquent, useful sycophants, and the philosophers plucked—sorry, the the philosophers were plucked out of relative obscurity by the powers that be and the media lackeys who serve them and who they serve. And they were elevated because of the eloquence of their arguments? No. Because they were soft, intimidating clubs through which to beat the original thought out of everyone else. Well, John Rawls is very, he's famous and he's, he's a prefer- professor. And he, he looks like, I mean, you see a picture of the guy. He just looks like a quintessential professor. You know, he's a PhD, he teaches at this Ivy League school, and he, he got a theory of justice. It's really compelling. So so I guess that's that's true then, right? Is he teaching people how to think? No. Appeals to fear and appeals to greed are not teaching people how to think. It's simply wiring into their amygdala and their fight-or-flight mechanism and hunger for not dying and hunger for food, which is another way of saying the same thing. Why is he famous? Why is he famous? Because he was useful to those in power. And the moment that you are useful to those in power, you are not a philosopher anymore. That's the job description. It's one thing a philosopher has to be, and that is not useful to those in power. Ideally, you should be opposed to those in power philosophically. But the major gig. you know, they say um, the Hippocratic Oath, For medicine, do no harm. It's not really a great oath. (laughs) Don't kill people. Hey, I'm a doctor. I haven't killed anyone today. But the Hippocratic Oath for philosophers is serve no power. Serve no rulers. Because the moment you're serving rulers, you are a tool of oppression. And you will be well paid and well pampered for that. You serve reason, you serve evidence, but everything that smacks of power is not yours to serve. As a philosopher, it is yours to oppose because power is the opposite of reason and evidence. Power is appealing to people's fear and greed to control them rather than giving them tools to think for themselves. So the primary gig of the philosopher is serve no masters and encourage other people to serve no masters. That's the gig. And John Rawls failed that gig, in my opinion. And more than just an opinion, I think I made a reasonable case for it. So if he had an argument from first principles, I would respect that. But he didn't. At least in, I'm, again, I'm no expert on John Rawls. All I know is this particular theory, which has had a great influence on very many people has nothing to do with anything that I'm doing. And I would argue it has nothing to do with philosophy because it's not an argument from first principles with reason and evidence. It is an appear to fear and greed. It is, um, he was just a high priest of the modern theocracy called statism. He was just a high priest of the modern blood-stained church of the state. And uh, the fact that he said, uh, serve the state. The fact that he served the state, the fact that he was well paid by the state. Now, all who were paid by the state, are not only suspects, you can dismiss them. You can dismiss them. I know that sounds arrogant and, oh, some guy who served by the state says that two and two make four. But well, we're not talking about somebody who's saying that two and two make four. We're talking about a guy who took state protection for his career, who never acknowledged that he was paid by money forcibly extracted from taxpayers, who never discussed the fact that he couldn't be fired. And again, I don't know what tenure was like back in the day, but I think it's been pretty strong for quite a long time. So the fact that he's talking about justice in the abstract, when the money that he received for his pay was torn out of the taxpayer's hands at gunpoint, if he didn't see that, I have no interest in his moral philosophy. If he did see that, I have no interest in his moral philosophy. Does that help at all?
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, that's... Uh... That's uh, quite, quite a lot to, uh, to start with. Um, and, uh, I should, I should qualify, uh, my question with, uh, I'm not a uh, supporter of John Rawls, uh, I pretty much align myself with you, but, um, I heard a, uh, not, not aligned with you, but my, my views and beliefs tend to fall along the same lines as uh, yours. Uh, but I heard a podcast on him and, uh, Robert Nozick, uh, by somebody named John Schmitz, David Schmitz. Um, on uh, Econ Talk a couple years ago, and never heard of either either uh, philosopher, but uh, I did find it to be very interesting, sort of the back and forth that they had um, in the uh, in the '70s. And you know, the i the, the things I was hearing about Rawls were were things that I could sort of see being telegraphed through uh, the the sort of the liberal establishment, the modern left, things like that, and uh, which I found interesting, given that. There's not a lot of uh a lot of uh things that I see said directly by Rawls that I find to be very compelling. And yet we have the Academy sort of telegraphing his views to a whole generation of uh of students and uh then they're going out into the world and voting and you know.
0: Yeah. And and it's great because that. young people lap it up because then they don't have to change the system. They don't they have to challenge the system then but here's the, uh, let me just I've used this analogy before, so I'll keep it brief. But if you want to understand these, these, these kinds of theories, all you have to do is use the cash slash principle. And what that means is whenever you hear about the redistribution of income, which is the cash, then what you really need to substitute in order to test the justice of it is to have the redistribution of sexual favors. So, cash and slash principle. So, the Rawlsian perspective is this. Okay. This is John Rawls translated into more visceral moral terms, but using exactly the same principles. So, I am John Rawls. I have come to put a proposition before you. Let us say that you are floating in the ether before you were born, and you do not know before you are born exactly what size penis you're going to have. You don't know how tall you're going to be. You don't know what fine or bad hair you are going to have. You don't know whether you're going to be spotty or clear and smooth skinned. You do not know whether you will have a tendency towards high body fat retention or whether you will have a flat and lickable six pack. You do not know these things. You do not know whether you shall be born rich or poor. You do not know whether your face will have a pleasing symmetry or will be like a plasticine mask that has been dropped from a medium height. You simply, you do not know. You do not know whether you shall have an accent that is rather plummy, a little bit victoria. Victorian like mine, you simply do not know whether you will have the kind of accent that makes people add 20 points to your IQ. Or you don't know if you're going to have some kind of dumb accent where people are going to subtract a whole bunch of IQ points for you and stick it up your ass like you're an extra in the movie Deliverance. You simply do not know these things. You, you do not know how attractive you are going to be to the opposite sex. Now given that you do not know how much poontang you shall be able to consume during your life, how much pussy you will be able to crush, as the saying goes, I believe, given that you do not know these things, what kind of society do you want to have? Well, my friend, I think the answer is quite clear. If you have lots of money, great hair, A juicy six-pack, a viper-backed kind of upper-body torso, long, lean, luscious legs. And uh, a penis that looks like four Bud Light cans in a row. then it seems to me quite likely that you are going to get more than your fair share of the fairest sex. So, on the other hand, if you are... Danny DeVito with a little baby Japanese pinky penis, rather rotund of build, George Costanza-like, and you are poor, and you are bald, and you can only grow an indifferent Johnny Depp-style pubescent girl fanny mustache, then it seems to me quite likely that you're, well, you're you're going to be shit out of luck, I think the phrase would be, and you're really not going to be getting any, any gash at all. I think the phrase is, you will be really reduced to buying a new keyboard every six to eight weeks because it's simply too gummy to type on and you need to type. Because, you know, anal goat porn isn't going to type itself, you know. So, given that you do not know how attractive you're going to be to the opposite sex, I, I, I really must say that you're going to want a system or poontang distribution. Now, if you are rich and firm of ab and tall of hair and large girthiness of penis size, well, clearly you're going to want to be able to crush as much pussy as you can possibly get a hold of. So you'll obviously not want pussy to be completely redistributed as if you had no say in the matter. On the other hand, if you are small and rotund and poor and not a huge fan of, say, bathing, then clearly you're going to want to have some of that fine lady meat shot in your general direction, whether it's for their will or not. So, you do not know in the future world whether the muff will come to you or whether you shall be chasing the muff. I think that's really what I want to say. Are you going to be in FUD pursuit or is FUD going to be pursuing you? That's for my Scottish friends. And so, are you going to be an expert gardener in the lady garden, or are you going to be somebody trying to find an oasis in a desert that's never going to arrive? You don't know. You don't know. And so clearly you're going to want a system where the government forces women to have sex with you if they do not find you appealing. On the other hand, you do want to have the freedom to pursue high-quality poontang wherever you may be able to find it because likely is that you will be able to get a hold of it. Also, if you can get the government to pay for STD treatments and if you can get the government to pay for, say, pregnancy, abortions and other kinds of messiness, oh, so much the better. So that is the cash slash dash gash theory. Uh, and, and I think it really is very compelling. And uh, I would say that uh, I put the John Rawls in John as in somebody who frequents prostitutes. But that really is my theory as to what should happen in the future. Because you simply do not know whether the pussy will fall on you or whether you will fruitlessly chase the pussy across a wide plantation of endless rejection. So obviously some pussy forced upon you and other pussy that you can pursue at will will be very much the ideal of what should happen happen. So I guess the last thing I would say is, we do not know at what depth we shall have to swim to quaff of the bearded clam. And so it is really incumbent upon the government to either let us, should the bearded clam be high in the seawater, to let the government have us go down and quaff as much bearded clam as we can, given that we may only have a snorkel. Of course, if your penis is the size of a snorkel and perhaps bent that way, you might be able to get even more. But if the bearded clam is simply too deep for us to go down and get, well, clearly the government must send divers down to bring it up to us. And that is really the end of John Rawls and his theory of poontang redistribution. Does that make things clearer? (laughs) Did we lose him? I think we lost it. Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) I I don't. I'm not. I'm not saying it's unwarranted. (laughs) I believe I have a new
1: bedroom voice to bring to my wife.
0: (laughs) All right, let's move on to the next call.
1: All right. Well, up next is Nick, who had a dream not about bearded clams, but uh, he's going to read our dream. Go ahead, Nick. What What the heck is the bearded clam reference? So I, I,
0: Google.com. Okay. Yeah. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> you, first of all, you have to, first of all, Mike's going to share with you his Google alerts. Oh, no. <laughs> Mike's, Mike's Google alert is porn. Just <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Today, there's one piece of new porn on the internet. It's called the internet. <laughs>
4: uh, okay. I, I just never heard that one before. Maybe I'm sheltered. Um, Okay. So thank you for having me on. Uh, I've been listening and donating to your show for a couple of years now. Uh, and I think that uh, listening to your podcasts and reading your material has really helped me work through some internal issues. I mean, I was definitely stuck in some suboptimal thought patterns uh, at different phases of my life. And I think that's been a, listening to your show has been a big help. And Applying uh, critical thinking and philosophy to uh, some of the things that have happened to me. And uh, if you don't mind, I'm just going to shill for you for a moment. Uh, So for everyone out there listening. I
0: don't mind. And thank you, of course, for your support. I mean, it's wonderfully kind that you're supporting the show.
4: Um, Financially, that's why we're able to do what we're doing. So thank you for that. But feel free. Shill away, my friend. Exactly. Uh, I mean, everyone who's listening, donate. If you enjoy this show, it I can speak for myself. It does make you feel better to know that you are contributing to this uh, show that I'm sure has helped you as much as it's helped me. So that's what I wanted to say to the, about that. Um, and it's FDRURL.com slash donate or
0: com slash donate. Or if you're shopping, it's FDRURL.com slash Amazon. All right, go ahead.
4: Uh, On to my question. Uh, A few months ago, I had kind of a weird dream that disturbed me and it really stuck with me for a bit. And I remember listening to a dream analysis you did for another caller a few, some time ago. And I thought that was very interesting. So if you don't mind, I'm going to kind of read the uh, dream that Okay.
0: Yeah, just just before you do, I just you know, in in deference or or with respect to the new listeners, uh, yes, we do talk about dreams on the show. I think that they're fascinating. Um, I come from a more artistic background, um, acting, playwriting, poetry, novels, and so on. And um, I think that dreams. I don't know if they're the royal road to the unconscious that Freud talked about, but I think that they're incredibly powerful potential narratives for understanding your life. So, um, I've got theories about dreams. I've got a whole idea about why they occur. Uh, you can check in the podcast feed. So, yes, if you came here from the migrant crisis and you're wondering what the hell's going on, that's what's going on. <laughs> I wish, I wish uh, Europe could uh, could wake up from its current nightmare, but that's what we're trying to do. So, um, all right, so that's, uh, that's just a little bit of background.
4: Um, why don't you uh, read the dream? All right. So, uh, basically, I was in what appeared to be a discount clothing retailer. Uh, there's one in particular that I remember from my youth that this reminded me of. And uh, I was at a what appeared to be a customer service desk, and I was trying to cash a check from my girlfriend. I know that doesn't make much sense, but that's what was going on. Uh, the check was for either $5,999 or $15,999. It changed when I looked at it. Uh, so a security guard from my work was standing behind the desk and he went away and I was trying to decide if I could write, if I could write a check right away or if I had to wait for the check from my girlfriend to be processed first, my hand, and I was trying to figure out I'm what... I'm sorry, to- you just cut out for a second there, oh, then I had sorry. a receipt in my hand, sorry, go ahead, you... Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So the security guard he went away, and I was trying to decide if I could write a check right away or if I had to wait for the check from my girlfriend to be processed first. Uh, then I found a receipt in my hand, and I was trying to figure out what to do with the receipt. Uh, the security guard came back with uh, some generic person who I saw as a friend from work, and a woman with a broken foot. He then said, what are you doing to us, in kind of a faux angry voice, kind of a joking angry voice, and I looked up, confused at him, and then realized that he wanted me to get out of the way so that the lady with the broken foot could cut in front of me. I yielded, but felt embarrassed and angry and deeply wronged. Uh, I put the receipt in a drawer that was facing outward on the counter, and then followed the guard around with my uh, air quote friend as he told us how important it is to accommodate women and those in need. Still angry, I said, uh, just because you break your ankle at your foot doesn't mean you get to break all the rules. And then I began to think about uh, the affirmative action program at work and how when I sprained my ankle, it didn't mean I got to cut in line. I went back to the counter. I'm sorry, you're um,
0: you're white, right?
4: Uh, yes, that is correct.
0: Okay, go ahead.
4: Did the yeah? <laughs> uh, I then began to think of yeah. Uh, I went back to the counter. The lady was gone, and I couldn't find the receipt. I was concerned, and then my friend went to the store window and declared, "Look, aliens, take pictures." <laughs> I ran over to the window. The sky was gray and the landscape looked a lot like where I grew up in Ohio. And I saw a UFO in the sky. The security guard proclaimed, I took the original alien pictures. My friend then took out a big camera and began to take pictures for himself. Then a blinding white flash came from the UFO. I looked closer and the UFO appeared to be a purple... Highly pixelated, like kind of like in an old arcade game flying saucer with a giant light bulb underneath. I was terrified because I didn't want to be abducted. So the UFO then admitted a big red flash, and then I saw it fly down behind the store. My friend, who at this time had kind of transformed into an old friend from high school, uh, and my, and I rushed out back to find the ship. At this point, I began to hear electric guitar music. When we stepped outside, the ship had landed and there were two aliens outside. One was out front and the other came into view from behind the saucer driving a small vehicle with caterpillar treads. They both looked like bad uh, computer graphics models and they both repeatedly said, welcome humans, don't be afraid. My friend then immediately began to attack to attack the first alien, and then I ran up to the second alien, and Roundhouse kicked it in the head. I looked back at the UFO, and I saw stairs going into the cockpit. I ran up the stairs and saw a middle-aged man in a rubber suit with fake-looking antennae. He declared, I am the king of this dimension. I looked outside and saw that my friend was still grappling with the alien, but was winning. So then I pushed the man in the rubber suit aside and took the controls. And at that point I woke up kind of like sweaty and terrified. So, uh, All right. weird dream. It's a great dream. It's yeah. a great dream. Um, I, th-
0: I think I have some idea and I don't know if we'd be able to do the whole dream cause it's very big, but yeah, I know. Uh, tell me a little bit about affirmative action at work.
4: Uh, well, okay. So I'm a computer engineer. Uh, I, I don't live in Ohio anymore. I live in another much more liberal part of the country. Uh, And uh, I I work for a tech company. I'm sure you've heard of this company. I don't want to say what it is. And uh, uh, basically, (sighs) there's a real big push to... Try to be, well, they would say more inclusive.
0: Hire, to hire non whites, in particular blacks and Hispanics, right? Yeah. And, and yeah, listen, uh, we don't need well to be and, politically yeah. correct on this show. Life okay. is too short. Or aging rapidly while we're dancing around the topic. Sorry. So they don't have an affirmative action program to hire or orientals or Asians, because I'm sure that as a tech company, there are lots of those already. But yeah. blacks and Hispanics, in particular, uh, women and so on, mm-hmm. uh, there's a big push to hire them at the yeah. expense of more qualified people who are either white or or Asian. Is that a fair, a fair, summation? That's certainly my perception. Okay. I mean, that's the law, right? Okay. Uh, or at least that's the, um, uh, well, that's partly the law. And you know, if you want to work with the government, usually you have to put this kind of stuff, uh, you show it's in place and you have to obsessively track the race and, uh, gender of everyone who's around because apparently we want to live in a post-racial society which means uh, hey the new hermione is black did you know that isn't that cool she's a person of color isn't that fantastic who cares i don't care she's just a competent actress like the guys in the new star wars movie the the, uh, the young guy, the hero, he's black, he's black, he's black. It's like, I don't care. He's, he's actually a fine actor. He did a really good job, given that the character doesn't exist in any real dimension. <laughs> he actually did a fairly good job of being an action hero that's made of plastic and George Lucas-inspired dialogue, which is to say plastic. But, um, yeah, so we have to obsessively focus on race in order to live in a post-racial <laughs> society. It's just one of these paradoxes. But, uh, you know, sort of like uh, – um, Diversity is a value, but you're not allowed to have any diverse thoughts about diversity because that's bad. Can't question diversity because that's being diverse about diversity. So okay, so um is this having an effect on you? And we we'll just talk about your thoughts, right? We don't have any proof of this kind of stuff. But right. without a doubt, uh, affirmative action is negative to the career prospects of Asians and whites, right?
4: That that is certainly uh that's it cer- has to. Yeah. I
0: mean, it, it has to be. I mean, there's no, it, there would be, it wouldn't be a program otherwise. It has to favor less competent people over more competent people at the expense of the more competent people, at the expense of the customers, at the expense of the um, company as a whole, the economy as a whole. And it's certainly going to interfere with your career prospects, right?
4: Yeah. Uh, I mean, now that you're mentioning it, I mean, there was kind of... Last year, I felt as though there was an instance in which I felt like I should have been in a certain leadership position, but there was a there was a woman who was uh, chosen to take that leadership position instead. And to add insult to injury, she didn't even want to be a leader. So <laughs> she was clear about this. And so right. I ended up. Effectively playing that role, even though I didn't officially have the title. So,
0: oh, and it
4: it makes you know when when less
0: competent people are hired and promoted, it makes everybody's life really difficult, really. It's not just your missed opportunity and your missed raise. It's, it's having incompetent people around. It's, it's uh, having to do extra work because they're really bad at it. It's having uh, extra work thrust upon you because their decisions are poor or, you know, they, they don't necessarily get sign off on the specs before you start building. So you've got to build stuff later on the fly. Uh, it is literally well, a living hell to have incompetent people around in a, a work environment.
4: To, to be fair, she's very competent as an individual contributor she just had no taste for taking any kind of No that's
0: that's role. yeah. <laughs> this this focus on being fair is exactly why we ha- like this okay. this absurd focus on fairness is why we have this this bullshit called affirmative action to begin with. You know what's fair is what you can achieve voluntarily. That's what's fair. Is it fair that the cheerleader go out with me or should she go out with the football stud? I don't know. Can you get her to go out with you? Then it's fair if she like What you can achieve voluntarily, that's called fair. What you have to force people to do, that is not called fair. Right, so you say, to be fair, she was competent at something other than what she was promoted into. Okay, (laughs) take any incompetent person ask them to clean your car, they'll probably do an okay job. So, okay, he was a medical director and he was terrible, but to be fair, he was good at cleaning my car. Who cares? Hmm. You didn't have a competent person put into a position because of affirmative action whether that's for gender or for race most likely we're just going to go with that as an assumption because these things are impossible to prove right it certainly is the case that minorities and women do not feel it insulting that they should have affirmative action i I would find it unbelievably insulting if, if my audience had to be forced to listen to what I was saying, I would never say another word into a microphone again as long as I lived.
3: Mm.
0: What a hideous thing. Imagine, you know, if my wife said, I, I hate you, I really, really want to leave you, but I'm afraid that there are skeletal bears out there that will eat me. <laughs> it's like, please, God, don't do me any favors, right? And so we don't know how competent or incompetent people are who are promoted in this way, and I'm sure there's some very competent minorities and women who are promoted in this way. The problem is you can't tell them. You know, again, to take an extreme example, if a guy rapes 10 women, you could say, well, you know, three of those women might have had sex with him voluntarily. We'll never know. Now will we? (laughs) Because it wasn't a voluntary interaction. So uh, we do know that minorities as a whole, there are some, but not as a whole and certainly not the most vocal representatives of the minorities and the women that they're not saying no this is a complete insult minorities and women should stand and fall on their own merits of course they should because we're supposed to judge people by the content of the character not by the color of their skin or the distance of the nipples from their spine right so this should it should be a complete non-issue now in america this is being challenged more and more because it was supposed to be, as far as I understand it, a temporary government program, oxymoron alert. But I would have no problem working for a woman. I would have no problem working for any kind of minority or anything like that. I have a problem for people who are willing and able to use state power to achieve authority over others. That's a problem. That's bad.
4: Well, you see, that's the thing that was so insane about this is she was like literally appointed. She didn't particularly indicate. She basically said she didn't really want to be a leader, and they said, "Too bad."
0: Yeah, we need our numbers. We need to maintain our credibility with the federal government and get all of that good government money and the cost overruns payments that go with it. So, sucks to be you. We got to promote you because we need uh, we need tits in the chair.
4: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's uh, horrible. It's, you know, it's dehumanizing. It's dehumanizing to promote somebody based on the color of her skin or the shape of her genitals. That is looking at people as skin color and sexual organs. That's it. We're promoting the dark skin. We're promoting the brown skin and we're promoting the pussy. Okay. Well, aren't we supposed to look holistically at people? No. Skin color and vagina. So promotion. I mean, that is so dehumanizing. And um, so horrendous. Uh, and, uh, you know, the problem with affirmative action as well, of course, is that Asians have to, they've become invisible mm-hmm. in the equation. Yeah. Uh, because whenever anybody talks about racism, I had a call a couple of months ago about this, and I'll keep it brief. But people talk about racism in America. Nobody ever says, well, those, those poor Asian Americans, man, they just, they can't seem to get ahead at Google. <laughs> they just can't. <laughs> Damn it, if only we could find, just give me one, one Asian programmer in the place. Come on. What's with all of these black females? Just give me one Asian guy. Do you mm. work with any Asians, my friend?
4: Uh, yeah, plenty.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So here's the problem with affirmative action is that whites are supposed to be racist. But apparently we're, we're very pro-Asian. And we're very skeptical of the abilities of, say, blacks, right? Weirdly enough, that actually falls along the IQ and uh, three-dimensional manipulation of objects continuum in testing, right? So whites, like everyone else on the planet, are not racist or sexist. We're IQist. We're smartest. Smartest? I don't know what you'd call it, right? But this is the problem is that, you know, Asians... Kind of quiet to begin with, and there's lots of studies that show that, that blacks are the most sociable, uh, and, uh, and uh, Hispanics uh, the next sociable, whites so-so, uh. and then the Asians are very, like, not quite as gregarious and outspoken and extroverted and social and so on, and so Asians, you know, kind of quiet to begin with, but when it comes to things like racism in white societies, they simply don't exist. They simply do not exist. Like Google has all of these complaints. Oh, Google is racist because only 2% of the engineers are blacks. It's like, how many of them are Asians? Oh, we can't tell you that. (laughs) The Asians, (laughs) they don't exist. They do, you know, like, like bowls of chop suey floating through the hallway and nobody's attached to them. You know, it's just bizarre. And uh, th- this invisibility of Asians in the social discourse is one of the ways you know you're in the grip of propaganda rather than any, any facts at all. You know, the fact that, that high-tech companies seem to be haunted by Asian ghosts that n- never show up in social justice warrior calculations. It's like literally they have these, these weird glasses on. I don't know. Maybe they're really <laughs> visor-like glasses. Well, it's that, confirmation bias. Yeah. Well, no. They just they, – they simply can't see Asians. They look at racism – and they they, they simply... They, like Chinatown is like a neutron bomb zone. It's like it's weird. There are all these, all these Chinese restaurants in a place called Chinatown. There's like no people there. Like none. Occasionally, a ninja costume. darts by too fast to see. You don't know what's happening. No Asians anywhere can't see the Asians. Maybe they put on yellow goggles. I don't know. But it's just weird. I mean, this is how crazy social justice warriors are. It's like all of the invisibility that Asians have in the racism narrative, white people are racist, white countries are racist, all of the invisibility that Asians have, it's like they suck up all the reality of Asians and add it to like Hispanics and blacks. So, can't see Asians really can see a lot of blacks and Hispanics. And that's just how it has to be. Because the moment you acknowledge Asians, the whites are racist narrative completely gets wrecked. And so... It's just this weird thing. Like, everybody talks about race in America, and nobody talks about Asians. Right. I, mean, I just – if I were Asian, I'd be, hello, can you see us? Can, can Hello, I'm going to touch you in your social justice warrior face. Can you feel – and, and they're like, la, 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 we can't see any Asians, la, 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 la because we can't blame the whites if we see the Asians. I and mean, it's just this bizarre thing. And the moment you start to really see it in society, uh, racism, whites are racist, except for Asians, who they pay a lot more than anyone else, because Asians have a higher IQ per capita on average than whites. <laughs> it's just fantastic. Just, I mean, go to Social Justice Warriors and ask them about Asian people, and they're like... Uh, Who? Asian people? No, Asian people. Come on. What are we going to talk about? Hobbits next? Give me a break. There's no such thing as Asian people. They don't actually exist. Okay, maybe there were some guys with clothespins behind their ears in ancient kung fu movies. But that's just, that's all CGI. That's all made up stuff. It's a false flag operation. It's not real. Asians are just invented in an attempt to destroy the social justice warrior narrative that whites are racist. I mean, have you ever seen one in the flesh? I never have. They don't exist for me. How can they for you? It's all done with mirrors. NASA is behind it. Maybe Asians live on the flat earth, but not on this rotund sphere we call white racist paradise. No such thing as Asians. They do not exist. Asian food is just a conspiracy. Actually, it's Hispanic food with a lot of spices and a lot of soups and some noodles. So really, can't talk about it. Asians don't exist. Sorry.
4: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, what you're... I mean, obviously, the uh, affirmative action overtones uh, make a lot of sense. I, what do you think the UFO and the aliens were all about? I, that's, Dude, seriously? Yeah, I, seriously? Yeah. Come on. That,
0: that, okay. there's, there's everyone in the audience is screaming at you. Right? Really? It's like you're on Wheel of Fortune and everybody knows the price. Uh-oh. What could aliens have to do with cultural differences that harm... Average workers. Oh huh. my God! Could it? No, no, it can't I be illegal made... alien. <laughs> it's a not much fun being an illegal alien, right? I mean, you get
4: right. This oh, okay. Is the, the theme, yeah. Right? Okay. Wow. That's. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's making a lot of sense. Because
1: uh...
0: he, he, here's what I see, I and mean, I'm not trying to project anything into it, but. Okay. Um, yeah. You're trying to cash a check from your girlfriend. Now, why doesn't it make much sense that you would try and cash a check from your girlfriend? You say, I know, it doesn't make much sense. Why doesn't it make much sense? Uh, well, I've had girlfriends owe me money and they've written me checks.
4: Well, I, I think it was more... I think what didn't make sense about it was the place I was trying to cash the check. It wasn't a bank, so... But... it, But... Uh, no, that's... a. Uh, that's a interesting question. Um, why... Have you ever had a girlfriend owe you money? Owe me money? No, I. No, not so much. At least not in any kind of. Can you just back away from the mic a bit? You're getting all
0: kinds of buzzy. Have you ever lent a girlfriend money?
4: Not explicitly. I've certainly paid for. You know, dates and things along those lines, and hope for some reciprocation and have gotten it in many cases as well. So, what's
0: your ratio of reciprocation? You paying and the woman paying in sort of dollar amounts over time, including things like vacations and weekends away and all that kind of stuff.
4: Uh, it, I'm it certainly I know the answer just yeah, based on the, the tone. Answer. Yeah, you do know. What the is it, answer. 80
0: 20, 70 30. What are we talking?
4: Uh, I haven't done a full accounting, but eighty twenty does that sound? <laughs> Pretend you're not an engineer. Give me your gut feeling. <laughs> I definitely pay for the overwhelming majority of the things that we do. So ninety ten, probably fairly close. Okay. And how long have you been in this relationship? Uh, well, uh, we started going out in late March, so it's. Okay. Been about nine months, I think. Is that right? Why do you pay? Wow, that's well. I bet
0: you. Let okay. me. Let me. Um, okay. Sorry, before you answer that, let me yeah. give you a complicated question and interrupt you because that's really polite. Okay. But um, six thousand to sixteen thousand dollars. You know, if you've been dating for seven or eight or so months, you could have spent that much.
4: I mean, I think 16,000 might be a bit high, but uh, that's. No, of course, that's the upper range, right? Yeah.
0: But six, have you spent, do you think you've spent 6,000 on uh, dates and going away and, and vacations and whatever? Presents?
4: I'm going to say yes, but I can't. Can't no, I, I get stuff. it. I, I, we know this is not exact,
0: but it's not like you have a strict yeah. down the middle of the road. Pay each each side policy. Yeah, so that's true. And so affects- here you you're trying to cash a check from your girlfriend, uh-huh. and I think that's is your unconscious saying that you're paying for it. You're paying for sex.
4: You know, it's kind of interesting because um, my so. We've been having conversations, and I guess her mom is somewhat circumspect about me. And uh, I guess one of the things that uh, she had relayed that her mom is circumspect about me about is that uh, her mom doesn't feel that I spend enough money on her. So that's kind of interesting.
0: Let me tell you, young man, my daughter's vagina is worth many more shekels than you're currently inserting into it. As a coin-operated machine of sexuality, you need to get yourself a big giant bag full of quarters, young man. Hmm. Wow. You don't spend enough money on the woman. I mean... And the mom thinks you should be spending more money to continue <coughs> your sexual access to her daughter's vagina. Hmm. I think you need to run. In my humble opinion, it mm. does not get better from here. Anyway, that's a topic for another time. I know I just dropped Fair the not. bomb, but we're going to try and yep. get the dream, right? Because you're basically saying, look, she owes me some money, <laughs> right?
4: <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's interesting.
0: Yeah. You have a receipt in my hand. You're trying to figure out what to do with that. What's the, where's the receipt? What, what do you need a receipt for?
4: Um... What do I need the receipt for? I I think it was... I think it was probably for the check that I was trying to cash.
0: But or, well, why would you have a receipt for a check if you haven't been able to cash it yet? I don't know. <laughs> it, okay, uh, that's fine. If you don't know, that's fine. Okay, so the you know, the security with, comes back with a generic person and a woman with a broken foot. So... She's like, I have a broken foot. And she's like, and the, the guard is like, she gets to cut in front of you in line, right? Mm-hmm. And she said, Well, just because you break your foot doesn't mean you get to break all of the rules. And now, in real life, you, so you sprained your ankle, you didn't get to cut in line. I don't understand that.
4: Yeah, I sprained my ankle earlier in the year. And I don't know. I was still expected to. Wait in line with everybody else, so I. Well,
0: because you're a man.
4: Because yes. you're a man, so suck it up. Don't
0: be inconvenient. Now, did you break your ankle after you started dating your current girlfriend?
4: Uh, I, I sprained my ankle, and uh, yes, yes, that is uh, that is the case. We were out hiking, and uh, oh, she was with you when you sprained it. Yeah. Yeah,
0: she was, now, actually. Now, did she, did she take care of you? Did she bring you chicken soup? Did she, she do did. your rest, ice, compression, and elevation? Was she fantastic at taking care of you when you were unwell?
4: She was, actually. She was. She. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to say that... I don't want to give the false impression that uh, my generosity has been unreciprocated in any way. Uh, but you would do the same thing for her, right, if she had
0: sprained her ankle? Y- yes, yes. So... So your, gener- your financial generosity is definitely unreciprocated, right? She's the financial vacuum, right? She's that, like a vagina cash hoover. Woo!
4: That, it goes, right. That's true. That I mean,
0: strictly but she's,
4: speaking, she's, she in does a some nice amount. things too. She does, like for example, the other a couple of weeks ago, she took me to a really nice, uh, really nice uh, restaurant. That I, I would not normally have gone to this restaurant because I grew up with kind of uh, Midwestern thrifty values. but And she covered the whole thing. She covered the whole thing. I didn't have to pay a dime for the— uh, No, no,
0: listen. You, don't need, you already told me it's 90-10. I accept that well, there's 10. You don't need to repeat that okay. to me. My problem isn't that she never pays. The problem is 90-10, right?
4: Hmm. Or maybe 80-20, something like that. It's, it's skewed. It's not 50-50. It's All not right. 50-50. All
0: right. Okay, so then um, this idea that disability gets you to cut in line is interesting. Because if a man or a woman was hobbling around on a broken foot, I, and I'm sure you, would, in fact, let them cut in front of me, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. I I guess what... No, wait, hang on, but you say it's true, like, yeah, I guess I'd be guilted into doing that, but... No, I mean, I, I would be like, please, go ahead. Like, your foot is broken, right?
4: That, that's true. Uh, what?
0: So, so the question is, why are you angry that the woman wants to cut in front? It's not the but, security but, guard that's well, it's the giving sec- her this power, right? Well, The friend, he work, was is it a male or female friend? Sorry to interrupt. It would have been a male friend. It's a male friend, Okay. He then said, what are you doing to us in a faux angry voice? Okay, so this person, (laughs) is it the security guard who says, what are you doing to us? Or your friend from work? It's the security guard. And he's male, right? He is male. Okay, so this means that the people who are implementing affirmative action in your company
4: must most likely be male. Yes, that, yeah. And white males. And... Yeah, you know, well, all the managers in my immediate organization are certainly white males. So
0: okay. So what this means is that you've probably heard the phrase "White Knight," uh, also some to re- sometimes referred to as Mangina, also sometimes referred to as Captain Saverho. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, you've probably heard of this: the, the White Knight, which is that anytime a woman sends up her bleating cries of distress, uh, the men come rushing in to castigate you and to protect. The woman, right? It's a basic mating display, which is that if I um, if I screw my fellow male, will you screw me, right? That's, that's sort of – because, you know, men have no loyalty to each other because we can't use each other to make babies. i sorry, you're cutting out a little bit. Screw each other in order to screw the women, right? Okay.
4: Um, so you kind of cut out a little bit there.
0: So do you have anyone at your work who is – who white knights uh, – maybe uh, this had something to do with your friend from high school, but who – Ah, uh, castigates you for any skepticism you might have about a woman's distress.
4: Well, I try to avoid those conversations at work, but I can think of a manager or two who have certainly who certainly fit into the white Knight category. So
0: right. Because if you say, well, I have some skepticism about the economic and practical value of promoting people beyond their areas of competence simply based on, vagina and skin color and uh, people would be like oh no historical oppression and sexism and racism and you're bad and you know let's help these people and so on right yes all right all right and and this look there's this giant thing that's going on in the west as a whole which is um i have some skepticism about the value of sharia law relative to anglo-saxon common law and roman law traditions and people are like but baby boy drowned in surf <laughs> i mean they just emotional nonsense that has nothing to do with um, complete inability to process threat until the threat is too overwhelming to fight back against. But anyway, um, so this, the, 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 friend from work and the security guard would represent, I would assume, are they both white males in the dream? Uh, yes. Right. So these are people who are forcing you to comply for various reasons to, to let somebody cut, uh, in front. Now, how did you know the woman had a broken foot?
4: Uh, she had, uh, I, I guess I don't know for sure that it was broken, but she certainly had, uh, kind of the leg brace and cast around her foot there and she was kind of hobbling around. So it certainly, her foot was messed up, so it might not have been broken.
0: Well, no, we don't know that the foot was messed up. All we know is right. Because look, if the dream wanted you to be sure that she had a broken foot, then you would see her foot broken right so you see a cast which means that the broken foot is hidden Hmm. you have the appearance of an injury without confirmation of the injury which is kind of what political correctness is all about right
4: yeah okay
0: like i i could put my foot in a cast and hobble around and nobody would be able to tell for sure right like Hmm. there's an old desperate housewives episode where the woman shaves her kid's head because he's got lice and then everyone lets her in line because they think her kid has cancer oh jeez Right. I mean, so again, I'm just saying that the dreams are very specific. Don't take anything as accidental in the dream because nothing is. A dream can be anything.
3: Mm-hmm. It can
0: do anything. You could have seen this woman breaking her foot. You could see mm-hmm. uh, the, an open gash. You could see something. This is a cast. Now, a cast, of course, has two meanings. Um, well, it's more than two, but but uh, the two that are important, I think, here is that, of course, it's the hardened shell casing of an injury with bandages, and also a cast is somebody in a play, somebody in theater, somebody pretending. Hmm. Wow. And the pretense of injury for the sake of advantage is the fundamental political correctness cry bully phenomenon, right? Yep. yep. The pretense of injury for the sake of advantage. Yeah. So you yielded, but felt embarrassed, angry, and deeply wronged. And you yielded. Why? I'm not saying you shouldn't have or should have. I'm just because if you feel embarrassed, angry, and deeply wronged,
4: why would you yield? Because I thought the consequences of standing my ground would be uh, would be worse. So I guess I. What? You have no support. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, top of, I mean, I'm living in a very left wing part of the country right now, and it's, I gotta tell you, it is, uh, it's been interesting trying to make friends over the past few years. I mean, one of the, yeah, things don't
0: that, worry, it'll be yeah. right. It'll be, it'll be more <laughs> right wing when the money runs out, but we just got to hold <laughs> our breath until right until the water, the water of craziness drains away.
4: Yeah. I'm... So, and
0: you have no support, right? I mean, the, the, the security guard, everyone, there's no one there saying who's agreeing with you. Everyone's like, Oh, how could you? Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Um, you got a friend, as he told us how important it is to accommodate women and those in need, right? Accommodate women and those in need. Now, of course, the fact that you had a need is immaterial, right? Yeah, the only does, people yeah. objectively wrong through affirmative action are white males and Asians.
3: Hmm.
0: Right, so people, this is why I'm saying it's imaginary injuries. The only legitimate injuries that are objective and traceable of affirmative action are white males and Asians, Asian males in general, because mm-hmm. they're passed over for promotions. They're, they're not allowed to, to be promoted or to even get a job or even to get into college sometimes,
4: mm-hmm.
0: right? Because, I mean, when it comes to getting into college, black scores are artificially elevated, white scores are somewhat slightly depressed, and Asian scores are depressed even more. So Asians are not getting into school With high scores, so that blacks with low scores can get into school. And then the blacks say that they're experiencing some sort of injustice. I mean, I don't even know where your head has to be to say that with a straight face. Well,
4: yeah. Can't disagree with that. And the only
0: way that you can say it with a straight face is to say that white people and Asians don't exist, remember, but white people have to pay for historical injustice.
4: Right. Which. I wasn't Because all
0: whites are perpetrate. racist and you don't have to yeah. prove anything individual because there's systemic racism or in other words, all white people are racist, whether they display any racial racist characteristics or not. In other words, there's a collective ne- negative judgment about white people that is somehow portrayed as anti-racist. And again, the mindset, the, the, the mental pretzels that you have to put yourself into in order to make that make any sense to you is, is, is I can't even imagine. What kind of contortions you'd have to put yourself into to say I have a generic negative view of white people, and that's how I combat racism?
4: Yeah, you, <laughs> it's like you,
0: oh fuck. You
1: know, you know what's I can't interesting? That people say.
4: That. You know what's interesting about uh, racism that I was thinking about uh, not too long ago. If you actually do a Google search for the definition of racism, uh, none of the definitions that are given in any way preclude the possibility that a racist sentiment or belief is. Untrue. Right. Rational uh, response to a a racist
0: sentiment or belief is true or untrue?
4: None of them uh, uh, prevent a racist belief or sentiment from being untrue. So all all the definitions given technically allow for a racist belief to be true.
0: Oh, right. So if you say, for instance, uh, like, The Reverend Jesse Jackson, who is a black activist, Mm -hmm. if he said, he said, it's tragic that after 20 years of of being a black activist, this was, I think, in the 90s, -hmm. he said, when I hear footsteps behind me on a street at nighttime and I turn around and it's white people, I'm relieved, right? Mm -hmm. So if he says, I'm generally more afraid of black people than white people, and he himself is a black activist, Mm -hmm. would that be considered racist? Well, statistically, there is more to be scared of the black people than white people, because black people can, particularly young black males... Well, they commit a huge amount of crime relative to Asians, for sure, and uh, relative to whites to to a lesser degree.
4: And it's a rational response based on a true belief. Now, technically, yeah. according to the definitions of racism given, uh, all those things, uh, it, technically it could fit into those definitions, but isn't it interesting that, uh, well, let's just take the definition of racism to be the uh, standard one isn't it interesting that it is uh, thought to be the most horrible thing in the world uh, when the set of racist beliefs include could potentially include beliefs that are true which
0: I don't know. well and I think it goes even deeper than that like if I were to say black people owe white people reparations for criminal behavior mmm Wow Can you imagine? Like, I'm not, this would not be something that I would, if I said something like that. This is not, right? right. This is the thought exercise, right? Right. If I were to Mm -hmm. say, well, look, black people owe white people reparations for criminal behavior, for the cost of incarceration, and for the high consumption of welfare. I want a check, and I want it now, because I've been paying way too much in taxes for black consumption of the justice system, of the prison system, and of welfare. Mm -hmm. Like, if I were to say that, people would say, are you kidding me? Not all black people are on welfare, not all black people are criminals. You can't collectively demand money from black people because a proportion of them are on welfare and are criminals. And I'd say, yes, that is exactly true. That is exactly right. But then people can turn around and say, white people owe black people for slavery. Now, question. Statistically, were more white people slave owners or are more black people criminals?
4: I, I'm, I... I'm guessing you probably have data that indicates that a uh, higher percentage of black people are criminals versus uh, white people who were slave owners. And I yes. don't have that data on the hand, but I'm slave guessing... Slave
0: owners in America was yeah. 2 to 3%. Right, okay. And some of those, I a mean, number of white slave owners, and a certain percentage of them were blacks. Blacks had no problem owning slaves, and no, it wasn't just to reunite families and stuff. So a, a very small percentage of white people own slaves, and the percentage of criminals who are blacks is higher than the percentage of whites who were slave owners. Plus, slave owners were 150-plus years ago, the black criminals kind of in the here and now, a little bit more tangible in in their manifestation.
4: On top of that, there are all sorts of uh, subgroups of white people who really weren't in the country for our to a significant proportion at the time that we actually had slavery. Like some guy who
0: comes over from Poland in nineteen eighty. (laughs) Yeah. I mean his ancestors were the slaves of the Muslims, for God's sakes. They're going to Saudi Arabia for reparations. So so I mean this is how insane things are that if if a white person were to say black people owe me reparations for criminality and welfare consumption, people would say that's horribly collectivist and racist. But black people and others can say white people owe them for slavery, even though there is no white person alive who ever owned slaves. And the percentage of white slave owners is far low than the percentage of black criminals. And they can all say this with a straight face. And that's because simple, basic truths about race have been so charged with emotional hysteria and abuse that there's no possibility in the current context of society to have anything close to an honest discussion about race. An honest discussion about race is white people feel bad, give us money. Or we're going to call you racists. That's, that's, I mean, this is what is called an honest conversation about race. And so when you, when you are saying, well, I'm going to just comply. You know, like now saying races should not be treated differently under the law is called racist. Like this is how insane things have become. Right, so affirmative action is treating races and genders differently under the law. Different laws for blacks, different laws for Hispanics, different laws for whites. And, of course, you can't pass laws on ghosts, so nothing for Asians, right? Except maybe just exclude them um, from, from education if they're too competent, too able. Because Lord knows America is going to, his economy is going to get even stronger if you keep the smartest people out of the economy. <laughs> nothing, uh. nothing but great things can happen. And so... to, To say, let's get rid of affirmative action and let's have all races equal under the eyes of the law, to say that is considered racist. To say the law should not discriminate on the basis of race is now considered racist. Now, there is a definition of racism which says that racism cannot exist unless you can do harm. Right, so black people can't be racist against white people because black people have no power. And therefore, you can't be racist if you have
4: no power and therefore only white people can be racist well, I think that 's based oh. off of a immature de- understanding of power, but
0: anyway no it's not it 's not based off anything that sophisticated it 's just based on racism is a club used to humiliate and destroy white culture that that yeah. i mean and, and you the fact that that um, the fact that i 've been called the most unbelievably racist names. Uh, on the Mm -hmm. internet. And I don't mean, Steph, you're a racist. I mean, like, you know, Cracker and whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, just go to my videos on um, Nelson Mandela or Martin Luther King Mm -hmm. uh, Jr. or um, uh, Maya Angelou and so on. Those are some great videos, by the way. Thank you. I I thought they were, or South Africa and the most horribly racist stuff is spewed out in the comments section there. I mean, I haven't checked in a long time, but this Mm -hmm. sort of my understanding. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Right. So black racism is is as visible as Asian economic success. (laughs) Doesn't exist. Doesn't fit the narrative. Doesn't exist. And
4: yeah. And actually, my understanding is that there is some data indicating it clearly indicating that, for example, blacks are uh, more uneasy about interracial marriage than, say, whites are and other indicators of racism well, so it,
0: it only takes a, a, a layman's understanding of economics to understand that tribalism and in-group preferences exist across nature and across all species including mm-hmm. the human species and if you can get away with negative behavior more people are likely to get away with negative behavior like if you had a we won't prosecute shoplifters day at your store how uh-huh. many goods be left on your shelves at the end of <laughs> your day well not that many yeah, And so because black racism is shielded from any kind of consequences, it's never discussed, it's never outlined, and it's certainly never ostracized or socially punished, right? Right. And so because black racism is not punished and white racism is hysterically punished, like it's like the Salem witch trials when it comes to white racism, of course blacks are going to be more racist than whites because that's basic economics. Because they're never, well, very rarely is black racism talked about, exposed, discussed. I mean, the blacks, black Black homophobia is huge in the black community. Homophobia is huge in the black community. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, it's never discussed. Can't can't talk about it. Uh, South South Park. uh, Was it South Park? No, Family Guy just had this thing on black on black violence. Doesn't exist. You know, white guy shoots black guy. Racism, gun control, blah, 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 blah. Black guy shoots black guy. Don't mention it. Doesn't fit the narrative. Doesn't fit. They don't care about blacks. They care about destroying capitalism destroying the West. And capitalism in the West happened to be products of white civilization to a large degree. So whites are the innocent bystanders when it comes to replacing capitalism with communism and socialism. And so whites are just the bystanders that have to be shot in order to destroy the system that whites largely created. So that's, it's got nothing to do with anything else. This is the only thing that explains all of this peculiar myopia and obsessive focus and complete ignorance of basic facts. So...
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and this is, um, you know, the fact that you're having this dream. There is... As a change, I, th- I think we've hit, you know, peak racist hysteria, and so on. Like things are just yeah. getting too lunatic. Like I did this video I, on what's going on at the University of Missouri, Missouri and stuff. Like things are just getting too hmm. ridiculous. Yeah. Now, and I think it, finally it's beginning to break.
4: Yeah, and actually, even in my current uh, very left-wing environment, I've noticed, at least within the last year, I've been noti- noticing um, kind of sent to the standard leftist narrative on these topics uh, very from people who i wouldn't have expected them from mm. it's like getting to the point where like even people who i would have expected to still be all on board are starting to see how ridiculous things are getting so
0: look if anybody cares about the black community and wants to continue with the status quo well, you, you pick one, you can't have both. If you want to continue with right. the status quo, you don't give a shit about the blacks. In fact, you got it. Right. Th- there's no greater racist than somebody who wants to continue the status quo in America because the status quo is destroying the black community. It's destroying black culture. It's despo- destroying the black family. Uh, as Tom Sowell, the great economist, has pointed out, yeah. the welfare state has done what and slavery couldn't do, which is to destroy the black family. Anybody who wants to continue with the status quo, which tends to be leftist, or who want to escalate the status quo, which tends to be leftist, anybody who wants to continue the status quo is uh, harbors truly murderous feelings towards blacks and is the worst kind of racist that can be imagined. Anybody who's questioning or wishes to challenge the existing status quo and look for different solutions is the only person uh, who genuinely has even a shred of concern or care for minority communities. Um, So um, I hope that that's beginning to even show up for lefties. I mean, lefties, you know, they seem to be immune to reality until they're not. And then there's usually a big change. You know, the the, the higher the dam, the worse the break. Uh, and I think it's been dammed up for a couple of generations now. Okay, let's go well, back to the dream. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Okay, sorry.
4: Uh, so where were we? Uh,
0: we've got- okay. So you began. So this this um, you've you've got no. You've got no social support.
4: Mm-hmm. No social
0: and the support, yeah. two other white males are saying, "No, no, no! You got to let the woman with the potentially fake injury cut in front of you," which is. Affirmative action at work, and the fact that you had an injury as well. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me that I've always been fascinated by the playfulness of language in dreams, and okay. this is probably nothing, but it struck me when you were saying it that the woman has no use of her foot, right? Um, no use of her foot. Well, she she her foot is broken, right? Okay, yeah. And another way of another way of, of phrasing that would be defeated.
4: <laughs> interesting.
0: Right, because you're yeah. defeated in this, right? And yeah. so the fact that it's a foot injury and you had a foot injury and in defeat is um, just a kind of interesting way of. Again, it may be nothing, but it's just it's interesting the way this stuff all sort of compresses in together. Yeah, that's okay. So you follow the guard around with your friend as you get lectured about how to accommodate women and those in need. Mm-hmm. So then you go back to the counter. The lady's gone. Can't find the receipt. You're concerned. So wait, did you lose the money? Uh. <sighs> I
4: don't know about, I can't find the receipt.
0: <laughs> uh, but was the, I, don't, I still don't quite understand the receipt. Did you get the check cash? Did they give you a receipt saying that they're going to do it in the future? Or what,
4: what is the receipt for? I think that I cashed the check and I got the receipt. And then. I oh, and the receipt is what you need for the money. I think perhaps. Yeah. Okay. So you
0: lost the money. I guess. Yes. So you got guilted uh, and you gave up your standards for fear of social attack and you lost your money. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, welcome to <laughs> modern white culture. And so,
4: <laughs> yeah. I'll right. Tell you. Wow.
0: <laughs> My friend went over to the store windows and said, "Look, aliens take pictures." <laughs> so we've got women. We don't have any minorities yet, but here we've got aliens coming in, right?
4: Yeah, and and we're talking the grays. You know, those. You know, the. I don't know if you know. I like used to the big almond face, big eyed guys. Yeah, aliens. yeah, they, they look a little bit like praying Lions. mantises. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. The big eyes.
0: All right. Big camera. Take pictures. I took the original alien pictures.
4: I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means either, but it struck me that he said that and he sounded so proud about it, the security guard. Now, we're going back in time here. Yeah. Uh,
0: How old are you? I'm Just give me a decade. I'm 30. Okay. That's a decade. (laughs) Um, So you're too young to really have heavily pixelated games, right? Do you have any interest in old arcade games? Do you do like multiple
4: oh. arcade machine emulator mame stuff or anything like that oh, no when i was little uh we had the old atari system and uh wait wait not the 2600 well okay maybe not that old but wait at these atari. 30 earth years or are you thirty years <laughs> are you from years. uranus or something no we had an atari when i was growing up it was my older half brothers but I mean, we still had it around and uh, eventually we upgraded to nintendo and all that good stuff so yeah but I mean, I've seen the old arcade games and I used to like to, when I was little, I used to like to play them, but okay. I know what they look like.
0: The All point. right. Because we're talking back in high school now, right? Because you've got a high, your friend turns out to be someone from high school. Uh,
4: really, I met him in elementary school, but we've been friends for a long time. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The UFO emitted a big red flash. Hmm. <laughs> Red being the color of which political system? Uh, either the Republicans or the communists. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to go with the communists on this one. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you're afraid of being abducted. Now, do you have any... You know, when I was around as a kid in the 70s with Close Encounters the Movie, Close Encounters mm-hmm. of the Third Kind, aliens were like a big thing.
4: Oh, um, yeah. They were a big thing for me growing up. And actually... Uh, This friend and me, when we were in elementary school, we used to love watching Unsolved Mysteries, and we had kind of like a little ghost hunters club in which we tried to hunt out paranormal phenomena. Oh, you went pretty full voodoo on this shit, right? Well, yeah, in elementary school. We grew out of it. But (laughs) right, yeah, yeah. Well, (sighs) so I, I don't know. I hesitate to bring this up, but my mother thinks she may have possibly been abducted when she was little. But anyway, that's...
0: What do you mean, but anyway? Like, we're just going to move past that. Okay, moving on from your mother being abducted <laughs> by space aliens, which can't have anything to do with your dream. Dude, are you just
4: trying to Freud me completely here? Sorry.
0: No, you're and right. then you're right. a I'll big go. flying saucer looked like the hoo-hoo I fell out of. Okay, okay. sorry.
4: Um, so All right, so, um, so
0: your mother feels that she was... Or thinks that she might have been abducted by space aliens when she was.
4: Uh, She was very little, she said. Uh, Her family was living in a very rural area. And she remembers this one uh, night where she remembers getting up from bed and like some kind of thing came down in the backyard. And then these little people came out that she thought were Santa's elves and she was afraid. So she jumped in the bed and hid under the covers And then when she woke up, there was this big gash on her leg. And then years later, when she grew up, she uh, was watching this program about alien abductions. And uh, they they were talking about uh, some of the people being interviewed relayed similar type experiences. And they, like, found things embedded in the leg. And she she never had her leg x-rayed or anything, but she had relayed that. She, and did she still have the scar? Uh, it's still, I mean, it's not nearly as visible as she said. Come on, just give speak. me a yes or no here. Come on. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs>
4: she still has, she
0: has a scar that she says, what, came from space aliens? Uh,
4: well, her father told her that she probably just hit her uh, leg on the bedpost, which is the more no, rapid, I don't
0: like. think that gives you a gash.
4: Okay. A uh, bruise, yes. Okay.
0: gash, I don't. Okay. Again, maybe it was a different kind of. <clears throat> okay. I, there's a theory. I, I think Carl Sagan put it out uh, in The Demon Haunted World, but there's a theory that says that um, alien abductions are unconscious recastings of nighttime sexual
4: abuse. Oh, dear. I. I. I this just and went and to a probes dark and place. Injuries and all that kind of stuff, right? That, this just went to a very dark place. I. Uh, well, I. I I mean, we're kind of getting into an area that I don't feel like I have the necessary background knowledge to uh, (sighs) talk about. Well, you're not coming on as
0: an expert. You're coming on as a person with history, thoughts, and feelings, and a dream.
4: Yes, that is true.
0: Do you know, I mean, did your mother have any disturbed sexuality as an adult or anything
4: like that you know about? Uh, No, I don't think so. Uh, Not that I'm aware of. I mean... She was kind of a pretty girl, so uh, my understanding is she had, uh, before she met my dad, my understanding is that uh, she uh, went to bars a lot and stuff, but uh, anyway. Wait, (laughs) went to bars a lot. Is that a
0: nice way of saying she slept around a lot?
4: I, all I, I'm just relaying as close to verbatim as possible what I've been told. So I don't, I can't, I couldn't tell you that.
0: And what's the blended family story? You said half-brother.
4: Oh, yes. So my father, um, he uh, he was, uh, he kind of grew up a pretty angry child. And I actually had a...
0: No, 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 no. Okay. Nobody grows up an angry child. No well, child is born angry.
4: No. I, okay. I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. He no. was pretty severely beaten by his mother growing up. And so he grew up angry. Uh, and actually, I turned him on to this show, so he might end up listening to this. So I hope it's okay that I'm talking about this, Dad. But
0: uh, Well, there's no names here. And, yeah. um, you know, obviously, if he ends up listening to this, uh, massive, massive sympathies. Um, yeah, seriously. I, I,
4: I got him to open up to me about this last year and i, I kind of suspected this was true by for a while by reading between the lines but i think we had a very um touching heart to heart about this and uh how grateful i was that he uh like when i was little they th- there was spanking but he didn't want to do that anymore so he took a class about alternative uh non-violent methods of uh dealing with uh Uh, children. And I'm, I'm very grateful that he did that. So yeah, good for him. What, um, how old were you when this happened? Uh, how old was I when, well, it was before I was in kindergarten. So, but I mean, I have some vague memories of when I would get out of line and uh, the spanking happened and I, it was really, I don't remember a lot of anger. It was more of a, uh, you broke the rules and these are the consequences type of attitude about it.
0: Does your mother know about your father's childhood
4: um, abuse? Uh, well, I think so. I well, I know she does now. Be, they're divorced now. Uh, they got divorced when I was uh, 22. So, uh, Why did they get divorced? <sighs> so, that's complicated. <laughs> um, to make long story short, uh, probably the primary thing was money issues. Is what led to this. I mean, it was. I mean, I I remember she they were not on the same page regarding how money should be spent. Uh, My mom was a lot more conservative with finances and uh, my dad had a tendency to uh, spend money on what I would characterize as get rich quick schemes. Uh, And also my conspiracy theory stuff. And part of, why I was so into that sort of thing when I was little Um, wait so
0: your father is into conspiracy theories and your mother thinks she was abducted by space aliens
4: she thinks she might have been okay that's not really the big distinction that it is you think it is okay (laughs) fair enough okay all right Uh, yes yes so
0: so your father tries to do these get rich quick schemes and your mother doesn't want him to spend this money she wants to save the money
4: yeah yeah, and so I I think that's a big part of it. That was a big part of it, and they ended up they ended up getting divorced. Um, well, it's not because of money issues.
0: Really? Saying that people get. Divorced because of disagreements is like saying people get killed because of disagreements. <clears throat> people don't get divorced because of disagreements, because everybody has disagreements. Mm-hmm. People get divorced because they don't resolve those disagreements, in the same way that people get killed because disagreements escalate. And mm-hmm. everybody digs in and they continue to escalate until there's some sort of rupture, whether that's violence or or divorce, right? So, so this, it, 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 when people talk about... Well, my parents got divorced because of they had conflicts. Well, everybody's got conflicts. Mm-hmm. Your parents got divorced because they were either too proud or, or too stubborn or whatever it was. But it's a personal flaw and failure on one or both of their parts, usually both. Mm-hmm. That's why people get divorced. I mean, people don't get divorced oh. because they have money problems or they have disagreements. It's because well, they're not mature enough or responsible enough to resolve those disagreements in a productive and uh, okay. mature way.
4: Okay. Well... Uh, Getting back to the mixed family thing, because this kind of feeds into it. Uh, So what kind of drove me, and I asked my mom about this later, because it just drove me insane that I couldn't figure out why she married my dad, because everything that she complained about by her own admission, she knew about very early on in their relationship. And so her rationalization for why she ended up marrying my father was because she wanted to uh, save she wanted to help she claimed that she wanted to help my older half-brother at the time so the older (laughs) half-brother comes from my dad obviously so when he was uh, young he kind of ran away to California and kind of lived in the mountains and kind of went into town every now and then to do odd jobs to get some money for supplies and then went out, out back into the wilderness, and somewhere in the middle of, that, of all that, he ended up knocking up his hippie girlfriend. And uh, to make long story short, they ended up keep, well, he ended up keeping the baby, and shortly after my older half-brother was born, uh, she abandoned them, and uh, my older bro- half-brother never got so much as a birthday card from his biological mother. And so... What? yeah she just abandoned her baby yeah i mean the poor kid i mean not exactly the age of aquarius or breastfeeding <sighs> yeah so so your your
0: dad knocked up a seriously disturbed woman
4: yes in fact like, I, like, like way way disturbed she was actually my understanding is that she was actually uh she might have actually been legally married to somebody else at the time that uh, he met her in the wilderness well when he was well look after California. abandoning baby nothing you yeah. say is like yeah. yeah
0: and right and she had unpaid parking tickets okay so and, he ends up with this kid this woman has run off and abandoned her only child and um so yeah. your mother then wants to help this boy Uh, And so marriage, your dad, I don't quite follow that.
4: Yeah, I know. I think it's a rationalization hamster thing, but. No,
0: it's an excuse
4: thing. Yeah. Because you say
0: to your mom, you're responsible for marrying dad because the things you complain about are things he manifested before you got married. And she's like, but it was the child. (laughs) You know, I don't mean to mock, but it just sounds like a way of recasting a bad decision as some altruistic angelic thing.
4: Yeah. I mean, if you ask me, I think it's. Due to the fact that my dad has a number of alpha-ish characteristics. I wouldn't call him a, I mean, certainly guy with a single father type guy. And he had a good union job at the time, so that was probably attractive as well. So why does uh, he want these get-rich-quick schemes? Why does he want to be rich? I... Well, I guess he'd be the one who would have to uh, tell you that for sure. I think a large part of it, though, has to do with an inner need he has. I think probably the same reason why he was into conspiracy theories is a need to feel uh, special, like he can prove all of his uh, teachers and the people he was rebelling against wrong in the long run. No. Oh, you don't think so? No, no, no.
0: No. No, but, but uh, look, you said your woman, <laughs> sorry, you said your mother was the pretty one, right? Uh, yes. Okay. So for a woman, what does pretty mean when it comes to looking for a man? Money. Right. Nothing wrong with it? No. It... Eggs for resources. We've mm-hmm. talked about this on the show. You're. I can give you the short version because you're a long-time listener. But uh, she's pretty. And so she's trading in her pretty for lots of resources, right? Mm-hmm. He's an alpha. He's got alpha characteristics. He's got a good union job. So she's like, my vagina on the resource market is worth your dad, right? Yeah. Well, And women have to gamble because they have to assume that the man is going to continue to increase his income,
3: mm-hmm.
0: right? The, the The man can judge the fertility. There's some gamble because women can look fertile while being infertile, right? They can be young and. Yep. Like ten percent of married couples, as far as I understand it, have trouble conceiving and making babies and all that so uh so a, a man has some gamble in that he might marry a woman and turned out she 's a dry dough, right The, the yeah. eggs are i don't know ostrich eggs from the Paleolithic era or something like that, and you can douse them with all of the <laughs> man yogurt you want they're not going to go any place useful right mm-hmm. so but but the woman also has to gamble that the man is going to keep his job or continue to increase his wealth, right? And I'm guessing, I'm guessing that your father, Nick did not manage to increase his income over time substantially.
4: Uh, well, I mean, he got raises of course, as part of, uh, you know, it, it was, it was a good union job. So, I mean, seniority, but, uh, and you know, it was, he hated his job. He really did. And I respect him for, it didn't really suit with his character to. Uh, yeah, but dude,
0: no, no, no. Yeah, we're, we're talking about women, mm-hmm. and again, there is exceptions, of course, right? But how many women say to their men, "Listen, you hate your job. Let's let's find you something else to do. I, I'm happy oh, to go enough. live." She in a, a small place, I'm happy to give up some income. We don't have to have a nice car. I, I can't stand to see you getting up every morning and going to work to a place that you hate. Uh, life's short. I love you. I want the best for you. You've really got to start pursuing your dreams. We'll take the financial hit. I'm totally down for that.
4: Um, my wife did it, but how yeah. many how many women uh, do? Did your mother she, do that? No. In fact, uh, somewhat the opposite. Uh, yeah. Go and, make the money, man mule. Well, there is another factor involved in this, and it is that uh, uh, part of having that good job meant he had uh, very good health benefits, which was important for me because I was born with a congenital heart condition. Uh, so uh, I mean, I, yeah I, I've had uh, but
0: that was, and, and of course, my sympathies for you there. yeah, but that was resolved at some point, right?
4: Well, I'm still dealing with it. I had uh, my uh, what would it be my one, two, I would be I had my uh, fourth open heart surgery uh, just a couple of years ago for the first time on my own in health insurance. Uh, I actually, when I was recovering from that, that's when I really got into your show. so
0: okay, so to balance things out and to be fair, Uh, It could have been out of concern and probably was out of concern for your health that your mother encouraged your father to keep his job. But is it not possible that he could have got a job more in line with his preferences that also would have had some kind of health insurance? I guess not with pre-existing, this is back in the day, right? Yeah,
4: yeah. I mean, it's possible. I mean, obviously, he had made a lot of stupid decisions in his youth in which he— was kind of lucky to land the job that he did. Okay. Okay. So. All right. Well, that's, that's a fair, a fair wrinkle
0: in your mother's calculations, right? I mean, you, you, the operations, you're concerned that you're going to die. All right. And
4: yeah.
0: So I, (laughs) and was your mother a, um, a healthy pregnant woman? In other words, uh, do
4: you know that uh, she She, took care of, she, well, I obviously wasn't there to well, <laughs> I wasn't observing this, but she certainly claims that she did everything that she could to uh, uh keep up her health and not damage her so me. she didn't smoke she didn't drink or anything like that right no no, she said she gave all that up uh, when she decided to have children and wait she used to smoke and drink well she didn't smoke I'm sorry okay, but she my, my dad used to smoke, but that he gave that up before I came around so.
0: What about antidepressants?
4: Uh, no antidepressants. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. There've just been there've been some studies lately, but well, or yeah. I mean, she expressed that. There, she used to eat. She ate a lot of apples during her pregnancy, and some years ago, she saw some thing about uh, some link between pesticides. That they anyway, but all right. Okay, so, um,
0: so he, why, but still, why did he, is your father materialistic? I'm still trying to figure out why did he want these get rich quick schemes? If he's got a steady job and he's got seniority and he's got a good, I guess, decent middle class income, why does he want more money?
4: Though so he could quit his job, <laughs> I think. Uh, he he hates working under other people. I think he he doesn't like.
0: Okay, that's not, that's not... <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If he's had a good middle class income job, and you know you're, you said the divorce when you're 22, right? So I assume uh-huh. he got the job before you got before you came along, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so he's got 30 years or so, 25 or 30 years into a good unionized job. With benefits and a retirement package, right? Oh yeah, yeah. So why the hell couldn't he retire? Uh, I mean, cops do it after twenty years quite regularly, and people in the military and right, they just well, they retire and they can either work another job or
4: well, by by that point, well, I mean, as it, after they divorced, he did quit his job shortly afterwards because it was like kind of the a reason minute. why
0: after 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 he divorced your mom or your mom divorced
4: him, he was able she to quit his job. She initiated the divorce. So.
0: so the reason he couldn't quit his job is because your mother didn't want the reduction in income? Uh,
4: that would seem to be part of it. Uh, Yeah. Well, he gets divorced and he quits his job. Mm-hmm.
0: So the reason he didn't quit is because... Uh Your mother didn't want
4: him to quit. That is true. I mean, that tell me where my logic is off, because it seems kind of causal to me. Your logic is not off.
0: I have an interpretation as well. So your mother wanted him to keep working, and that's why he couldn't quit his job. Yeah. Because after he got divorced, he quit his job, right? Yeah. So why did he want to keep working? I assume that he makes more money when he's working than when he's retired. That is... That seems to be
4: the case. So your mother wanted more money. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly more stable money, I should say.
0: No, no, no. Retirement income is pretty damn stable.
4: <sighs> yeah. Okay. It mean,
0: doesn't change. doesn't fluctuate. Yeah. Some <laughs> amount one year and ne- half that the next year and double that the year after. Right. Mm-hmm. So your mother wanted more money and you're now dating a woman where you pay more money.
4: Yeah, I mean, that's that's certainly the case. You sound like I, this is like, yeah, well, okay, I can give you that point, but it's like, dude,
0: <laughs> it's important stuff. You're just is, like, yeah, well, you know, that's fine, is, you know, and and you know the median's are painted yellow, not white. So what, right?
4: <laughs> Good point. Okay. I'm
0: You're uh, you're kind of brushing that one off, right?
4: I'm brushing that one <laughs> off because uh, uh I kind of almost don't want to. Uh... <laughs> kind of almost? <laughs> you don't want to, right? I don't and particularly, your mom yeah.
3: wanted
0: your dad to pay more money to her, right? Mm-hmm. It, wasn't like he, it wasn't like your mom said, you need to keep working so that we can send money to a charity overseas, right?
4: Mm-hmm.
0: So your mom was like, ah, you know, you're not giving me enough money, so I'm going to divorce you. Mm-hmm. And now your girlfriend's mother says, what about you?
4: Well, to be fair, she hasn't said this to my face. But uh,
0: this no, that is not to be fair. That means she's both a, okay. a greedy, materialistic bitch and a coward. Okay. So your yeah.
4: girlfriend's mother has said what about you? That I don't spend enough money on her daughter.
0: Yeah. So your dad not spending enough money on your mom, and you not spending enough money on your girlfriend. Hmm. And Whoa. who is the big problem at the beginning of your dream? Is a woman. Ah. Uh. Right? Mm-hmm. And the UFO is associated with your mother because she's the one who says she might have been abducted. Mm. Right?
4: Yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah, let's finish off the drink. I think we're getting somewhere good now. Yeah. Not that we were before,
4: but. Well, okay, yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Okay so, okay, so let's
0: go. So you, uh, you, you, um, you rush outside to find the UFO. emits a big red flash, so it fly down behind the store. My friend, who at this time I recognized, her, a high school friend of myself, rushed out back to find the vessel. <laughs> You're terrified because you don't want to be abducted, and then you run towards the UFO. Riddle me this, Batman. What the hell does that mean? I'm terrified of this thing. I've got to get closer. (laughs) Wait, that's just men and women as a whole, or Mm. men with women as a whole, right? (laughs) But why are you running towards it? Um, You can't stand up to a woman with a broken foot who wants to butt in line, mm. but you want to run towards space aliens who you're terrified are going to abduct you. Yeah. Makes no sense,
4: right? It's telling
0: you something. The dream is telling you something about courage.
4: Yeah. Wow
0: is your high school friend supporting you
4: uh, well he was the one who initiated the attack against the first alien. so uh, okay so what are we talking in the real world saying to you
0: yeah. is that when you're supported you have courage even to the point of danger, when you're not supported, you have no courage. That courage is a, a social phenomenon. And I actually believe that that's true. This idea that there's this individual courage that you, you plant it deep enough and you move the whole world and so on, that's bullshit. I have courage because people like you and others support me. Right? They, 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 they send me nice notes. They, they give money to the show. They share the videos and so on. My courage is a community community. Phenomenon. It is a manifestation of support within a community of people interested in philosophy who are passionate about what we're talking about. I have no individual courage because individual courage is called suicide historically. Mm. In other words, if you try and act against the values of the tribe with no support from anyone, you are either going to get killed, you're going to get ostracized, or no woman is going to sleep with you and you're going to experience gene death. There's no such thing as individual courage. Courage is a collective phenomenon, which is why when we manifest courage to the degree that we're able to, we add to the courage of others. Courage is a virus that spreads through courageous actions, right? I know that my example of speaking courageously in this conversation, which is the result of support from people like yourself Mm -hmm. and my own choices as well. I don't want to say I'm entirely a social manifestation. This has caused other people to speak courageously in their lives. Courage is a social phenomenon. And I think the dream is saying this because in the first part, you get no support and you have to submit to something you feel is wrong and unjust. In the second, even though you're terrified, somebody is with you and supporting you and encouraging you and acting courageously. Therefore, you can act courageously as well, right?
4: Yeah. That's... Which means
0: that if you want to have virtues, surround yourself with people who manifest those virtues. We have this idea, maybe it comes from, I think it comes from Christianity, where it's you and God and the soul and the devil. And it's all about just your individual choice, even though, of course, church is very um, important in, in the Christian faith, as they are in most faiths. But virtues is not something you stand I- in a dark room in front of a mirror with a candlelight and talk yourself into being virtuous. It's not virtue. Virtue is about who you surround yourself with. It's all yeah. it is. Virtue is having the courage of virtuous companionship. That's what virtue is. Virtue is not just something you will in the dark alone. It's not masturbation. It's a group sex act of of goodness, right? And so this is why I'm continually nagging at people to surround yourself with good people. If you surround yourself with good people, virtue becomes a habit that is irresistible. If you surround yourself with bad people, virtue becomes Ostracism and social suicide, and something which you will avoid. Choose your companions. You choose your virtues, and I think that there is something in this here in in terms of courage.
4: Yeah, I I didn't make that connection before. That was profound. Wow, because
0: you do amazingly courageous things. Yeah, when you're supported in this, whether they're wise or not, we'll get to as we go along.
4: Okay, an alien in the (laughs) face. Oh, yeah, that just it just occurred to me. Uh, my dad he always used he, he would always play music. He's in, he played a l- guitar, rock music, that kind of thing. He's always been in bands as far back as I can remember. Uh, I understand it when t- talking to my uncle that about trying to figure out why my mom married my dad, my uncle's interpretation. Her brother's interpretation was that uh, she found his uh, kind of rock star persona somewhat romantic, but that's anyway. why there's music. <laughs> um, anyway, the uh, but so it just occurred to me the electric guitar music. It, maybe that's symbolizing my dad because I mean he's always tried to set up an environment where he encourages me to think differently. And I mean, I I think to a large extent because of some of the, like we used to have a lot of uh, philosophical-ish conversations when I was growing up, uh, me and my dad. And I think that's part of what attracted me to your show. And I forwarded some of your podcasts to my dad and he loves it too so you might end up hearing this so Uh, all right
0: so now that's 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 cool i mean look the the the, especially the modern rock guitar is is giant public masturbation that there can be no doubt about that i mean it's basically low slung giant sideways flat cock that that's that's all. I mean, even even the frets, like the 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 tooting stuff at the end, is like the, the head of the penis. I mean, it's it's not even like I mean, it's not even subtle, right? Okay. Um, like the gay lute, it's it's being superseded by the 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 giant porn cock of the modern guitar landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Uh, so um, let's see here. Let me just go. So you go to guitar music. We go out back to Vesseless land with two aliens outside was... Out front, the other came into view behind the saucer, driving a small vehicle with caterpillar treads. They both looked like bad CG and they were both repeatedly saying, welcome humans, don't be afraid. My friend attacked the first alien. <laughs> so I said, don't be afraid because they should be afraid. <laughs> right? That's just kind of funny. Yeah. You know? Like, Don't be afraid. <laughs> oh, Why are you attacking me? Right. So the aliens are idiots,
4: right? Yeah.
0: My friend attacked the first alien, and then I ran for the second, and roundhouse kicked the alien in the head. Okay. So this is the great danger of the social virtues that we're talking about. And this is why I said, well, let's look at the wisdom of what you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. You're violating the non-aggression principle
4: here, right? Oh, yeah. Yes, I am. They they haven't attacked you. That's true. So here you have
0: the danger of conformity in the beginning is the security guard of the woman, the broken foot. And you conform to the general craziness around you. Oh my gosh. It's just something. And just here hit. again, you conform to the, my friend attacked. So I have to like, you don't say stop, right?
4: Yeah. Don't wow. be
0: afraid. They're saying, welcome. We're here. We come in peace. We come in friends, but friends, right? And he attacks. And then you're like, okay, I'll like, you're missing a yeah. moral
4: compass here. Right? Yeah. And something like why just, the hell
0: are you attacking these aliens?
4: Something just hit me, is that uh, yeah. recently, uh, I mean, I've, I've had some fairly dark thoughts about, uh, say, uh, Muslims and uh, some of the other immigrants, uh, largely out of frustration with uh, government policy regarding uh, them coming into the country, but uh, it's... I haven't acted out any of this, but there's just, I've had some dark thoughts about them. So, right.
0: No, I, uh, stuff,
4: I guess stuff that, I guess, stuff that clearly,
0: because, because you're I a human it. being, yeah, because you're a human being. And, and it, look, if it, I mean, just read the Quran about non-Muslims and then you'll see some pretty damn dark thoughts. I mean,
4: this is you know, not I, particular to, to I, you, right? You know, I had a crush on a Muslim girl in grad school and I started reading up on that. Yeah. Uh, anyway no need to go All right. into so, that.
0: so your friend oh. is attacking the first alien and you run for the second mm-hmm. roundhouse kick the alien in the head then I look back at the UFO and saw stairs into the cockpit I ran up the stairs and saw a middle aged man in a rubber suit with a fake looking antenna he declared I am the king of this dimension I looked outside and saw that my friend was still struggling with his alien but was winning I pushed the man in the rubber suit aside took the controls and then I woke up so who's the middle aged man Did you recognize him at all
4: in the dream You know I feel I felt like I recognized him But I couldn't quite place him He had kind Mm. of a He had kind of a White stubble beard And uh I mean I guess he looked Vaguely like uh Professor I had In uh college Um, I have a bit of white in my beard Yeah well (laughs)
0: I'm middle-aged. I like me a good rubber suit. Sorry, just <laughs> just giving you more bad dreams. <laughs> yeah. I... <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so so this is interesting. So I am the king in this dimension. A middle-aged man in a rubber suit. No, what okay, what does the rubber suit look like? How do you know? Is it like the gimp from from pulp fiction? what, what is the rubber suit here?
4: Well, it just it kinda I mean, it might not have been rubber. Did, did you never see those uh, pictures of John Kerry during the 2004 campaign when he was at NASA and he was in the what was kind of referred to as the sperm costume or something?
0: <laughs> okay, you didn't dream that, right? No, no. That's <laughs> a good dream that you'd wake up screaming from. Okay, I'm just going to type sperm into Google. Okay, okay maybe... <sighs> John carry sperm costume. It was a rough Okay, hang on a second. sec. So I need I need the visuals here. Yeah. Maybe John carry sperm donations. Okay, sperm costume. All right. Let's see what the hell this means. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> what am I seeing? Oh my god.
4: Yeah. Is it, it's that one. It, I just it's got this giant tube
0: yeah it's a giant tube, so it basically looks like he's uh he's be he's like yeah he's like being given birth to and okay is is this the one i'm thinking of uh he's in a blue suit and and he's got a like a something going over his head he looks like woody Allen and in-
4: yeah it looked a little bit like that, except a head fake and ten eye so all
0: right all right okay so there's not really aliens then right. I because guess. this is a human being
4: who's in the spaceship, not. right? Yeah. I'm thinking Barack Obama. I mean, he was white, but it could be Barack Obama, I don't know.
0: Well, he's half white. Yeah, good point. <laughs> Fake looking antennae. I'm just trying to figure this out. You and why why do you run in why do you run into the cockpit? What are you trying to do
4: here? I don't know what I was thinking. I think I was like trying to take him out or something because I was, I was in, I was in fight or flight mode. I mean, I woke up from this dream like adrenaline pumping. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was ready to kick some ass. So it, (laughs) it was, uh, I mean, it, it felt like this was the war of the worlds almost. So,
0: now he says i am the king in this dimension Mm -hmm. but he's not the king because you just push him aside yeah so this dimension that he's talking about is not reality in the dream right yeah probably not and he doesn't know so he must think when he says i'm king in this dimension he must think that this dimension is your dimension but it turns out that his dimension where he's king is not your dimension Mm-hmm. Because you can just push him aside and take the controls. Yeah. So he's delusional. Mm-hmm.
4: Right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. He's delusional because he thinks he has power over you. And he doesn't. Do you follow Donald Trump at all?
4: Uh, you know, I'm interested in Donald Trump. Uh, I can't say that... I can't say he'd be my first pick for the office but uh no no i didn't ask you last.
0: political opinions i mean just yeah. are you following his because donald trump is looming huge in american consciousness at the moment oh, yeah. and i bet you the number of people dreaming about something to do with donald trump is in the tens of millions every night in america yeah.
4: no i was following donald trump i've been very interested in mr trump uh at the very least and it's, in the state i'm in there's i can't really do much to affect the election but uh it, at the very least, it's, like oh, you I said, it's really it. entertaining to... Uh... I wouldn't underestimate your capacity
0: to affect the election, if you want. Oh,
4: okay. No, I mean... No, you're right,
0: you're I, right. I, I I've be... got lots of arguments against voting, and, and right? okay. no, I'm, so I'm not, I'm not trying to pretend that I don't. Mm-hmm. But don't just say something like, I have no capacity, or I have no real capacity to affect the election. That's a choice, right? Mm-hmm. If you took oh, right. the next year off and decided to spend everything you had trying to promote what you felt was valuable in the election, it may have some effect. I'm just saying. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. I'm just saying, yeah,
4: yeah. you're correct. Effect. You're correct. I'm excusing myself of responsibility here. So,
0: I'm The rubber suit. The fake-looking antennae. So the antennae is fake. So if the antennae is fake, then he's putting it on... Is he trying to look like an alien? Yeah. Did the aliens out front have antennae?
4: Yeah, it kind of looked like a costume almost. You know, no, the aliens didn't. The aliens out front didn't have an antennae. That's what was. It was kind of off because it looked like he was dressed in a stereotypical alien costume, but you know it didn't look anything like you know with the antennae and that sort of thing. So the media. The media. Yeah. The me- yeah.
0: The media. Fake-looking antennae. Uh, the media, like antennae, at least when I was a kid, that's how you got your media. I know you're right. younger and
4: all that, right? Well, uh, we didn't have cable when I was growing up, so I had to deal So you got with an your antenna. media through an antenna. In the, Yeah. Yeah, when I was younger, before we got internet. Before we got I'm broad. the king in this
0: dimension. Right. The media... They genuinely believe that they are the kingmakers. Yeah, and uh, in some ways they're right. I mean, they they anointed Barack Obama. They, you know, felt I, his inseam in inappropriate ways, to put it as mildly as possible, mm-hmm. and uh, he ended up getting elected. Right? They they yeah. believe that they are the kingmakers.
4: Yeah, and you know that election cycle, the one in which Barack Obama came into power, that's when I was really. I was really alerted to how corrupt and evil the American media is because uh, I I was a supporter of Ron Paul back in 08 and mm-hmm. it was just it, if you followed that campaign at all it was just so clear that the double standards the just the way that it just became so clear how uh, the media might not pick the president, but it picks who you're allowed to pick for president, if that makes any sense. Well, I, uh, the media picks the
0: president in, in so far as, to a large degree, the media the media, they're not stupid. They don't do things that don't work. Mm-hmm. And the degree to which they throw themselves behind Democrats and relentlessly attack Republicans, mm-hmm. and the degree to which everyone... Is aligned against Donald Trump
4: right in the degree to which on the conservative side they uh, align themselves with uh, what has been come recently come to be known as uh, conservatives so (laughs)
0: yeah so I mean the only thing that I truly love about Donald Trump is how much everyone hates him
4: yeah that's kind of what I love about him too
0: (laughs) and and the fact that that the media says I'm the king in this dimension But you can just push them aside and take control. Yeah. That's kind of Donald Trump.
4: Yeah. You're right. And, yeah, I had this dream in September, I think. So that wasn't that long after he... That was shortly after the the immigrants and rapists and all this kind of stuff. Yeah.
0: And he's, he's... He is showing... The degree to which people's fear of the media has been unjustified. Overblown. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
0: Did you, were you were listening to our show in September? You
4: were, right? Yeah, I've been listening because to your Because we show. covered a lot. We did I've a been... lot of Donald Trump stuff in September. Yes, you yeah, I guess you did. I mean, I, I've i been listening to your show... Uh, Years I really, you said after your last operation. Right? Yeah, I, mean, I got into it kind of in the fall, kind of in November, December of 2013. I was recuperating, right. so...
0: I'd seen so some of your you videos an before. A suit with fake-looking antennae and rubber yeah. suit. I am the king of this dimension. Now, it's the media and it's the Democrats, right? Yeah. because because the media say, the Democrats say that the aliens come in peace. hmm Right? And yeah. Donald Trump is saying they don't a yeah. lot of time. Right? And they're saying, well, the Muslims come in peace. And Donald Trump is saying they don't a lot of times. Yeah. Right? So the aliens welcome humans, don't be afraid, your friend attacks the first alien, ran for the second, ran the house, kicked the alien in the head. And so this, I mean, this is, this is a challenge, because obviously what Donald Trump says about immigrant crime has some statistical validity to it. Yes. And so what this dream is saying is don't fight the aliens. <laughs> fight the media. Yeah. And fight the media just by pushing it aside and taking control. Don't fight the aliens. And I believe that the great battle is between reason and the media. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is the great religious battle, is that communism and socialism have largely been uprooted from the world in their tangible political manifestations, but the ideas and the abuse that is at the heart of these ideas remains still shot through the entire society in the form of the media.
4: Oh man. And uh, <laughs> just kind of where I'm living right now, yeah, I've uh, you know, finding dates and stuff, it's just difficult to uh, find a woman where I'm at uh, in kind of the in kind of my age range, at least a few years ago, that uh, wasn't in some way uh, favorable to Marxism. So is your girlfriend, your current girlfriend, is she a lefty? Uh, no. Well, she is – she she actually has – she votes Republican. Um, she is not a fan of Donald Trump, though. Uh, she doesn't like Donald Trump. Sure.
0: Uh, well, that's she, a Republican, right? I mean, who, who if the Republicans like Donald Trump? Donald Trump is exposing the Republicans as cowards.
4: So she is um, – I mean, she understands – economic arguments. Uh she's uh I would say that she for the area that I'm living at in, she's pretty conservative kind of where I'm from in the Midwest. I think she'd be looked at as more of a moderate type conservative. But uh, um yeah. I mean we we have a lot of conversation we have a lot of interesting conversations. What does she
0: think what does she think of the new budget? That Paul Ryan just squeezed out of his statist sphincter. You know, I haven't talked to her about that yet. Uh... Does does she understand why people might be a tad partial to Donald Trump given what they're getting from the Republicans who have the largest majority in Congress since the Civil War and are still producing budgets that are like Christmas and a birthday present and Amber Rose uh, lap dance to the Democrats? Um, i I'm The sorry, Donald but, Trump phenomenon yeah. is a directly result of yeah. the cowardice of the Republican Party leadership. People don't want Donald uh-huh. Trump. They don't want to try someone untested and new with that experience. Mm-hmm. But they're so desperate after repeated yeah. betrayals by the Republican Party leadership that Donald Trump is the shadow cast by the cowardice of the Republican Party leadership. There's no other way to understand or describe it.
4: Well said. Well said. Um, I certainly have uh, Communicated to her, because I come from a more of a blue collar family. Her family is, she's lived her entire life in a thoroughly white collar world. I mean, you know, prep schools and all that stuff. But uh, uh, I've certainly communicated to her look, you spend most, pretty much all of your life in a very, among a very select group of people, all. Highly intelligent, college educated, you know, engineers, professionals, that kind of thing. Uh, she's an engineer, actually. Uh, you, <laughs> I can completely understand why Donald Trump is very popular right now based off of how the rest of the country perceives how the Republican Party reacts and behaves.
0: Are there a lot of illegal aliens taking jobs away from her family members? Not particularly. I would say not. No. But this is a culture argument, right? Which is that if if illegal aliens were taking away reporters'
4: jobs or lawyers' jobs Mm -hmm. or politicians' jobs or white-collar jobs as a whole. Or or bringing in competition for, uh, you know, suppressing wages through excess competition, et cetera. But Is she
0: an affirmative action engineer?
4: Uh, I couldn't, I have no way of knowing that. Uh, she's an environmental engineer. Uh, so it's, well, I mean, what she does is she does, uh, consulting work to, she works for a consulting firm that, uh, helps companies comply with, uh, environmental regulations. So, uh, so That's uh, not. In, I mean, her I've her got students
0: in this area. That's not really engineering, is it?
4: There are. Uh, there are different types of engineering. Um, and <laughs> Okay. The, the, the Mr. Captain
0: Obvious great. doesn't need to state things okay. like that. Please, come on. Okay. You know I'm a smart guy. There are yeah. different types of engineering. Do you know there are different heights of people? Nick, I just really wanted to have you understand that. <laughs> I'm glad I
4: you brought this to my attention. I didn't notice. Uh, <laughs> okay, so... It's certain... So she went to engineering school for this, pati- for this particular type of uh, field that she got into. And um, so, I mean, she took a lot of the same classes, uh, the calculus, the physics, the chemistry, the a lot of... Uh, mechanical engineering type classes and uh, things along those lines so uh, but she also took a lot of uh, environmental classes and things things in that area too so she doesn't build anything she helps
0: people yeah. comply with excessive regulations I would assume at least from our perspective
4: um, yeah yeah I mean I would think that even in a Even in a free market.
0: No, 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 don't give me the free market argument. We're just talking about what she does at the moment, right? Yeah,
4: what she does at the moment is not untouched by government regulation.
3: No,
0: it's
4: entirely dependent on
0: government regulations in that she's helping people comply. Yeah. With government regulations.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, and look, I mean, I'm not making any moral objection, but it's not really the
4: same as building a bridge, right? No, no, it's not, but... It is what she enjoys. So, <laughs> well, I get that <laughs> she enjoys. Um,
0: now, Trump would interfere with her capacity to make money, right? Because he wants to cut a
4: lot of environmental regulations. I mean, that's a good point. That's, and you know, I never asked her if that's her feeling on the subject. I, I almost get the impression that this is just me reading her reactions. I. Think she just hates his personality or his public persona, but that's. But who cares about that? I mean, that,
0: that's such a. I mean, I don't need yeah, to I say, that's such I, a girly I thing know. to say. You I know. know, he's I know. arrogant. I don't like him. He's a yeah, clown. I know. I know. I mean, I know. It's 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 got nothing to do with anything. Like, can you can you imagine if if I was like I I think Einstein had stupid hair. I mean, I'd be retarded. <laughs>
4: I mean, it's a ridiculous thing to say. Um, yeah. I, uh, I mean, so, yeah. I I've seen, I mean, who, who I, cares some, what his
0: personality is? There I is, mean, listen, you've got to tell your girlfriend this.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Donald Trump graduated from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania in 1968. He had a Bachelor of Science degree in Economics and Anthropology. Now, back then, back in 1968, you could actually get an IQ score from known SAT scores, because this is before they went through the climate science rejigging to make everything politically correct. Mm -hmm. So given the usual requirements to get into a top school like Wharton, it is estimated that Trump has a minimum IQ of 156.
4: Which is very high. It is more than... Uh, yeah, it's like three standard. De- it's over three standard deviations above the mean, I think.
0: And for those who don't know what three standard deviations is, yeah, it is. Yeah, one fifteen, one thirty, one forty-five. A one hundred and fifty-six yes. IQ, and that's the minimum. That's just to get in. I, I assume his IQ is much higher than that, but a one hundred and fifty-six IQ is at the ninety-nine point nine nine oh five four nine oh five five percentile. So he's smarter than 99.99% of people on the planet Earth. Mm-hmm. So he could get in men, so he could also tr- join the Triple Nine Society.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: So Donald Trump, even if we just say, just to get into that school, there's lots of people who got into that school who were not nearly as successful as Donald Trump. Donald Trump is astonishingly competent at a wide variety of things.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: He's a great writer, a great public speaker, a great businessman, great television producer great television personality great celebrity he's great with the media he he is very very competent at a wide variety of things and so when people say well he's a clown he's a buffoon he's an idiot he's arrogant and so on right what they're saying is i'm not smart enough to know how smart donald trump is and now he's also he's, he's the most successful politician within a generation Outside of Barack Obama, who doesn't count because he got—he's the affirmative action candidate, right?
4: Yeah. And, and, and no
0: them. politician can be a great politician if they're on the left because they get the automatic support of the vast majority of the mainstream media, so it doesn't really count, right? It's yeah. like saying Lance Armstrong is a great bicyclist. It's like well, he, if you take an entire cow fields worth of steroids, then yes, you do get some pretty jacked legs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like he looks like he's in these Nazi jofers even when he's not, right? Yep. So. I get this too, like, oh, he's arrogant, Stephen Molyneux is arrogant, and he's this and that and the other, right? And It's like, hey, can you rebut the arguments? No, but he's got a spotty head, right? So... It's the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? Yeah. This guy, he's run the, he's written the number one best-selling business book of all time. He's the most successful politician in a generation, number one TV show in, in reality that no one has been able to replicate his success. Like when Donald Trump stopped doing The Apprentice, do they say, okay, we'll just audition someone else?
4: No. One of the most successful developers I, I, within a generation. He's he's clearly a very intelligent man, and from the guy's I, a
0: stone genius.
4: And yeah, and from what I and he's read, willing, sorry to like he's willing to take political risks
0: mm-hmm. that seasoned politicians of twenty or thirty or forty years experience are unwilling to take. Right, and he is outsmarting and outthinking and outmaneuvering politicians who have decades of experience on him. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, I mean, I remember a he
0: is of- a brilliant 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 man yeah and i dare say i'm smart enough to appreciate that and the majority of people aren't that's just the reality it's the dunning kruger effect you can go look it up and i'm not talking about you. i know what
4: the dunning kruger effect is (laughs) and i think that he's clearly very intelligent as well he's he's brilliant no 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 he's not very intelligent he's extremely intelligent he's like phenomenal yeah stone genius and you know, it's. I mean, if he's if he's just very intelligent, there's lots of very intelligent people around. Yeah, I mean, the,
0: the the bare minimum statistics put him in one in a thousand. But it's not like if you run around and you meet a thousand people, you'll meet one Donald Trump every thousand people.
4: Right. I mean, there's um there's a culmination of different skill sets that came together in Donald Trump. So. Um. Uh,
0: but. Uh, He's certainly throwing all my political theories out
4: the window because who could have anticipated
0: trying right? I mean, it's new, yeah. new information, right?
4: Yeah, I, I didn't see this coming. I, I was really surprised that he's been doing as well as he has, uh, at least initially. But then when I started to see where the, the support was coming from and I got a sense that the attitude of the country, we're fed up we're fed up. And I think a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, uh, white collar family people that I spend my time with as a function of where I work, they don't fully under They don't really understand this. Um, uh, like for example, uh, I'm going to, I was talking to, to my girlfriend a couple of weeks ago and she was asking oh, has uh, Donald Trump's poll numbers finally begun to fall like why would you think they would fall i was like well he's been saying some really crazy stuff about banning muslim immigration and i'm looking at her i'm like are are you kidding that's that's surprise i know this will surprise you but that's a really popular position in large segments of the country <laughs> Wait, is she is she
0: does she think that she would do really well as an engineer under the fucking Taliban? I Does, does she not want to drive? Does she yeah, I, I d- mean what well, I don't understand. Like this is I, like d- do women want to get raped? I don't, like I don't understand this like yeah, bring a lot of bunch of Muslims in cuz right. their record on female rights is so fucking fantastic.
4: Well, her opinion on the subject is Pretty in line with a lot of the other young professionals in that I end up having to spend time with, uh, and I remember a few weeks ago I'm. But I assume she's at least somewhat for female equality,
0: right?
3: Yeah. Does she
0: see an excess of that in Islamic countries? No, but I mean this this is not complicated, yeah. right? I mean this, this is not. Like, I get this as an atheist. Sharia law is not my friend. I mean, this is not no, I,
4: complicated. I get that. Too. Like I said, when I started, when I bought a Koran and started researching Islam back in grad school, wow. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I used to believe a lot of, I think a big part of it is that a lot of people in my generation a lot of educated people in my generation bought the line about Islam being a religion of peace and uh, the terrorists just being some fringe element that are hijacking the religion and they're they have some kind of motivated ignorance around what the Quran actually says in large part because if well,
0: no they don't have to study the Quran i mean you just yeah. You just have to know of the fifty odd Muslim countries around the world how the women are doing. You just have to walk around and see if they're in the beekeeper suits. Right? Or whether it's the women funny. are whether there are honor killings in the country, or whether there's support for clitorectomies, or whether there's support for four guys have to validate your rape claim. Or I mean this is not this is not like you've got to learn ancient Arabic. This is just like if you if you're gonna have any opinion about Islam, then you need to at least have the basic knowledge of how the Countries are like? What the countries are like?
4: Well, to make it through the Ivy League school system, especially, to a large extent, you have to become, it's my impression that you have to become very good at putting walls, constructing walls in your mind that prevent you. No, I get
0: that, but you're not an Ivy League school system, you're her boyfriend.
4: That is true.
0: Like, I mean, yes, when you're under Stalinist Russia, you've got to go and applaud the Comintern and whatever stupid speeches they're giving. But then when you're home with your wife under the covers, you can speak the truth.
4: Mm -hmm. No, you you bring up an excellent point there. You bring up an excellent point. I. So, <sighs> I mean, are you an atheist? Uh, marginally, yes, and so is she, actually. So,
0: oh my God, has she not read about the Saudi guys who who question certain aspects of religion being sentenced to a thousand lashes? You know, listen. Mm-hmm. My wife is Greek, and if there was some country where Greeks were beaten up for being Greek, I'd be like, that's well, horrible and offensive to me because I love you and I don't like the idea of you getting beaten up.
4: She's an atheist and half Jewish, too. so also. An
0: atheist and half Jewish. No problem with <laughs> lots of Muslims who like Sharia law. Yeah. What can I. I mean, I don't know what to say. I have no, I have like, have no idea what to say about that.
4: Well, look. My guess is how pretty is she here? I would I would put her as a nine. I would put her as a nine. Right. Right. So I can't
0: listen to you speak about her because I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to your itchy balls, right? To a certain extent.
4: I'm I'm aware of that weakness.
0: Come on, man. If she was a male or if she was an elderly Asian female,
4: mm-hmm. assuming that's
0: not your thing,
4: mm-hmm.
0: come on come on, if she was just some guy who had these opinions? I Don't tell me to some degree. To every degree.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Pay for 90% of my dates. I heart Muslims. But it's okay, because I'm pretty and I got some eggs. Trump is stupid.
3: Stupid. <laughs>
4: Well, they're, you know, I actually uh, listened to this show with her, so she might end up listening to this, so.
0: And listen, I'm not yeah, saying that yeah. she's, I'm not saying dumb or anything, yeah. like, just no. be honest, right? I mean, yeah, you are you're lowering right. your standards of what would be a decent relationship, and I'm concerned about your self-censorship, because this is what's going on at the beginning of the dream. It's your self-censorship for fear of disapproval. For fear of ostracism, mm-hmm. right? Around a woman. Yeah.
4: That's, that's true. Right,
0: just be honest with her. This is serious stuff. This is not abstract.
4: This is very real. It is. Yeah, you're right. It is. It is, this is
0: Look, the difference between a free country and a Sharia law country, at least for me, is the difference between wanting to get out of bed and wanting to jump out of the window.
4: And, you know, it is is really funny because I've thought about this in the past. Um, It's like, let's say tomorrow the Sharia people come in and they just suddenly take over the entire country tomorrow. Well, you know, I could certainly lie and say I converted to Islam and, you know, grow out a beard or whatever. And, uh, I mean... I would have a lot of inconveniences, but uh, I would not be nearly as uh, oppressed as a lot of these feminists who are essentially shilling for the uh, for the jihadis. So,
0: but feminists are not driven by any love of women; they're only driven by hatred of white males. And the other thing too is, like, let's say that you could handle it. What about your daughter?
4: You're right. Absolutely right. It's
0: clitorectomy time.
4: Or my niece, my niece. Or your son. Yeah. So generations to come. Yeah. They need to be We need to give forward what we inherited. We need to pay exactly. forward what we inherited. Exactly. Exactly. We borrow
0: freedom from future generations. It's not ours to spend as we see fit. It's a legacy we must nurture <laughs> and keep and pass forward. Yeah, I need. There are an estimated 800 million radical Muslims in the world. That is not a tiny minority, that is not a fringe movement. That is 20 times the population of Canada almost. 15 times the population of Canada. It's almost three times the population of America. That is not a fringe movement. It's not a tiny aspect of the religion of peace. And they have having four kids a family.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Half the immigrants to America during Barack Obama's tenure have been Muslims.
4: And uh, the self-censorship thing, it's just something I've been so ashamed about in myself because I feel like I need to keep my opinions to myself just to survive. And That's not surviving. You need, to, you need people around you. This is why the
0: dream is so important about social courage. You, need, you will have the courage you need to speak out, but you can't be surrounded by people who punish you for speaking out. Mm-hmm. Right? Your 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 capacity to be courageous in the world depends entirely upon the people around you because we're social animals. Mm-hmm. Come on, grow out a beard, be a pretend Muslim, cut off your daughter's clitoris, if that's what it came to
4: No, Participate I couldn't in do that. I Come on. I couldn't do the... But, 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 when do you say thing. No.
0: Is it going to get easier from here forward?
4: No, it's not. You're it's right. Not. And is it just words we're talking here?
0: Violent. It's just words. Just speak the truth. This is what the religion just, is about. This is what the political system is about.
4: You know, I've been Islam around, is a form yeah. of statism
0: that is particularly brutal and medieval, according to what I've read. And if you've got a, a girlfriend who is going to shame and put you down for caring about your freedoms? I don't care how pretty she is. That's ugly. And caring about her freedoms!
4: Yeah, You know, it's you know, early on when we first started going out, I sent her your book, Real Time Relationships, and we we talked about it, you know, because I told her, you know, I really like the Stefan Molyneux guy. Uh, he has a great show. I've listened to a lot of episodes with her. Uh, she seems to have enjoyed a lot of it as well. Uh, And what just struck me is from that book, you talk about uh, how no-go topics in relationships become these landmines that eventually detonate. And I've been letting this issue of Donald Trump become kind of a no-go area. And you're right, it does kind of disturb me, her, I think, irrational dislike of Donald Trump. Now, I, she doesn't have to say he's perfect and she wants to vote for him, but the level of. The level of. Uh, the degree to which she just dislikes him just seems out of proportion to any kind of argument that she's been able to put forward to justify her feelings on the subject. So.
0: But she's just doing what you're doing. I I, I I can virtually guarantee and if she wants to call into the show, i welcome to chat with her. Okay. I But I know. can virtually guarantee you that all that's happening is that if she professed any kind of preference for Donald Trump, her friends would mock her, her family would mock her.
4: her. Like I it's bet, just
0: it's the same thing.
4: I bet that's true. In fact, I I'd be I'd be Yeah, I bet there's I've suspected that that's probably it but i should and so she, if she if if she sees you yeah, yeah if
0: she sees you speaking truth uh, despite disapproval then you can spread that to uh, to her
4: yeah so it's yeah i almost wish i could put her on um uh, but anyway right now i'm visiting uh family back in ohio so that around, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I'll probably look. Keep, and look Trump's. I'm going to just tell you. I mean, I always want to
0: be honest with everyone. I don't have any hidden agendas or anything like that. So I'll just Nick, I'm just going to be honest with you. Yeah. Trump is my R barometer. Mm-hmm. Trump is my R barometer. Everyone who hates him seems to be R selected, and it's just. I'm not saying it's perfect. It's just. It's my go-to. It's not my final place. It's my go-to. <sighs> yeah. And a lot of people... Like, his support is huge, and a lot of people support him who aren't willing to admit it. A study just came yeah. out. His support is underreported in phone-based polls because of people are of social approval concerns. Yeah. And the, the the GOP, like, right now, Paul Ryan just handed the election to Trump. Like... They are literally committing political suicide and clearing the way. They couldn't be more pro-Trump if they tried. They have just proven to every single voter that there's no hope in the GOP. There's nothing for you in the GOP other than lies and abuse. Mm-hmm. They they could uh, not be more pro-Trump if he was engineering a coup. Yeah. And people come along, we, we talk about, Mike and I and Stein talk about it, like so-and-so, people come along who break people, who break people from their principles.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And people just irrationally, like, and it can be a variety of figures. It doesn't matter, whatever. I know, obviously, people, I get it. People think that this has happened with me too, but I'm happy to hear arguments for it. I don't think it has. But Trump breaks people. Mm-hmm. Even people who are libertarian, even people who are conservatives, he he just he breaks people. He he they don't know how to take him. Mm-hmm. Because he is unprecedented. He fits into no box. And the fact is that he is doing something that is considered impossible. And people should be incredible fans of him for breaking the power of the media and for breaking the power of political correctness. Trump is the biggest infusion of honesty into American political and social discourse that has ever occurred, to my knowledge. Yeah. At least since you like, could say Daniel Patrick Moynihan with his report on the black families in the 1960s, Charles Murray with the and, and Dick Hernstein with the bell curve in the 90s and so on. But, this guy is he's bringing and he says this repeatedly he says look you guys wouldn't nobody would be talking about this if I didn't bring it up. Yeah. And I'm one for true. honesty. I'm one for open communication. I'm one for fuck political correctness. We've got a world to to deal with and a world to save. You know, it's
4: and it's so true what he said because I mean people say oh well Republicans have been talking about illegal immigration blah bloody blah, blah, but the fact of the matter is I'd been reading the National Review in this election and there was a intentional effort to try to downplay the whole illegal immigration issue because the belief was, oh, we don't want to uh, chase away the Hispanic voters. Well, if if I recall, I think I got this uh, from you. Trump is winning with Hispanics. He's doing well with Hispanics, okay. and the, the Democrats
0: are constantly saying to the Republicans, "You need to court the Hispanic voters," and it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. The the statistics on illegal immigrants and welfare consumption are very clear that the, wel- yeah. the, the illegal immigrants are going to overwhelmingly vote Democrat no matter what.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: No matter what. And so what the Democrats do is they say to the Republicans, oh, you got to go court the Hispanic vote. And then the Republicans all scramble over themselves trying to get the, 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 the Hispanic vote and they lose. The reality is that the last presidential candidate on the Republican side, Mitt Romney, Mm-hmm. He could have got over 70% of the Hispanic vote, he still would have lost. If he'd gotten just 5% more of the white vote, he would have won.
4: Mm.
0: So this is just a... Of course, Don't go... For, forget it. I mean, smart Hispanics are pro-Trump because they left. Right. They left. They don't, want, they don't the, want Mexico in the rear view catching up. Right. It's like the tentacled monster in the horror film. It's coming closer. It's like a kraken
4: in a sombrero. Drive!
0: Mexico's (laughs) catching up! Ah, we're leaving!
4: It would have have been like Ayn Rand writing a pro-communist book.
0: (laughs) She left! She doesn't have anything to do with
4: communism. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: And the smart blacks? They don't want illegal immigrants coming in? I mean, any smart black who knows his history loves white people compared to Muslims Mm because white slavery... Way better than Muslim slavery. Muslim slavery, over 100 million blacks killed. Killed! But I'll, I'll tell you what. A significant amount of them castrated. I, but there's not a lot of blacks left in the Muslim countries. They were slaughtered en masse. Right. And so right. smart blacks are like, yeah, we'll take the whites over the Muslims. Thank you very much. We'll take the bad dancers over the guys with the big pinking shears eyeing our genitals. Mm-hmm. So the smart blacks and the smart Hispanics... They're going to go pro-Trump, and pro-Trump is is polling higher with blacks and Hispanics, better than any Republican in a long time. People respect confidence. They don't have any fucking clue what people are talking about, right. but they respect confidence.
4: It's like you said, and it's like you said, people enter a room, look at who appears to be the most confident, and who's going to win and side with them. So you're right. I need to— And he's
0: Trump is revealing the degree to which elites hate Americans. Mm-hmm. Trump is, like, the Americans are like, this guy is really important to us. He's saying something really important. Right. And the elites are all calling him an asshole and an idiot and a clown. Mm-hmm. They, like, you know, have you ever met a totally dedicated Apple fanboy? Apple, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, you yeah, you live on the left coast, right? These people are addicted to their, their white apples, right? hmm And, you know, just go up to these guys and say that, uh, yeah, Steve Jobs was a hack and a plagiarist and a thief, and right? I mean, what are they going to do? They're going to take him. They're going to take it personally because they're emotionally invested in his excellence. Mm -hmm. And what are they? Are you going to change their minds? No. No. The guy has at least 156 IQ and people who don't even have half his IQ are calling him an idiot. And how many people are sticking up for people like Ann Coulter or Phyllis Schlafly or who stuck up for Margaret Thatcher and so on. Not many. No, this is, this is, or Jason Richwine, or, or even um, the aforementioned Charles Murray when he was going through his, his challenges and so on.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So, if she thinks Trump is a buffoon and a clown and a fool, then she thinks well, that a significant majority of Americans are buffoons and clowns and fools.
4: To be fair... Okay, so she I've challenged her on that. And she says, Oh no, I don't think that he's stupid and I don't think that he's really like that in private because you couldn't have possibly gotten he couldn't have got possibly gotten to the position that he's in if he were as if he were actually not brilliant, if he weren't brilliant. So but I don't
0: okay, know. Okay, so I, I brilliant think it, it is probably but then- so he's brilliant and he's incredibly competent. I respect competence. Yeah. I mean too. Uh, as do you, right? And and yeah. it takes a lot for me to say that somebody who's really competent is an idiot in general. Right? Like right. I can say there are certain people who I respect in certain fields and then when they wander outside of those fields they don't know their own limitations. Right? I'm, I'm prone to that. I have to watch that in myself, too. And sometimes I make it and sometimes I don't. I have to be careful about that. Cause that's why I have a lot of experts on this show rather than reading their books and pretending I'm an expert, right? Because they're the experts. I hand them the talking stick and I'm just there to get information out of them and deliver it to the audience, right?
4: And, uh, and I appreciate that. That's why I love your show.
0: But, but what does she have to say that's not just Valley Girl adjective? Like, what, does she, what does she have to say that is actually a tangible argument against his position?
4: Well, she says that he can't possibly hope to govern the country if he doesn't get along with Congress.
0: He can't possibly. So is she saying that Barack Obama can't possibly Mm -hmm. run the country at the moment because the the Republicans have a majority?
4: Well, she doesn't like Barack Obama,
0: but. No, no, no. But she's saying that it's possible for him to govern the nation. Uh, at at least effectively, but now does she know that Congress has an approval rating that is somewhere between six and nine percent? I doubt that, but right. So, um, but she claims to be political, and she's giving opinions about politics. And well, either that means she, she, does, she doesn't claim stuff.
4: to be terribly. political. She's giving opinions about politics. She right? is giving opinions about politics. That is true.
0: Okay, so if she's giving opinions about politics, she either there's three possibilities. She either knows her stuff. She doesn't know her stuff and knows that she doesn't know her stuff, or she doesn't know her stuff and doesn't even know that she doesn't know her stuff. So the idea that you have to get along with Congress to win, she does not understand that Trump is moving beyond that because he wants to reshape Congress. Mm
4: -hmm.
0: He wants to create such a movement that he gets different kind of politicians elected, Sounds, sounds you know, a you bit don't like get to be worth ten Caesar, billion but... dollars by setting your sights towards the middle. Right. I would guess that he's going to be such a political force that he's going to reshape Congress in his wake.
4: Yeah. Well, that's kind of gets down to the, where I have some apprehensions about Donald Trump is that I see the potential for an American version of Julius Caesar here. But what? Well, I mean, I mean Julius Caesar overthrew the was overthrew the Roman Republic and established a military.
0: Julius Caesar was a general. True. He is a real estate
4: developer. That is a good point. That is an excellent that's point. That's
0: kind of an important point. Yeah, that's... We're going to have a military dictatorship where every house is going to get gold pillars in front of
4: it and a slot machine. Fair enough. Come on. How can you compare You're right. this? You're right. To the end You're of... right. It's a bad analogy. It's a bad analogy.
0: And I don't think it's even coming from you. Where's that coming from? Because what you say matters. And if you're saying this kind of stuff to people, it matters.
4: You're right. Where is it coming from?
0: Julius Caesar was a murderer and a conqueror and an imperialist. This guy... Builds casinos and hotels that make people happy. I don't think Julius Caesar put a lot of tiny fucking chocolates on people's pillows.
4: Well, that is true. He's uh, got his
0: entire life is about voluntarily, in general, in relative to uh, Caesar. His entire life, Donald Trump's entire life, is how can I please people without forcing them? Well, and somehow this makes him into a late Roman Empire murderous general fascist. I,
4: I see I see some potential danger there, but you're.
0: But then tell me what it is, and compare oh. it to what.
4: There is. You, the, you can't just there there have is the problem. vague you're right.
0: apprehension. That's not philosophy.
4: No, you're right. you're absolutely right. I guess compared to, I guess compared to a Ron Paul, <laughs> but Ron Paul is who ironic. was never going to get elected.
0: You're right. And Rand Paul is never going to get. I've never seen him and Paul above two or three percent. Right. So and, it doesn't matter. It's like saying, well, Paul I think that a unicorn would be a great president. Well,
4: it's not going to happen.
0: I guess I don't know
4: where this is coming from. No. Let me ask this, you this: if Steve
0: Jobs, no, yeah. if Steve Jobs was going to become president. Would you be concerned that he would turn into a Caesar style fascist?
4: <sighs> yeah, probably not. Probably Why not? Why not? Guy was
0: rich, corporate empire, successful, brilliant, successful in a variety of fields as well. It wasn't just software, movies and stuff, right? Hardware. And and he, he you he, know, the Steve yeah. Jobs stories about how he managed are horrible compared yeah, to he Trump. Was,
4: he was quite the dictator. You're right. He just No, didn't...
0: dictator is not. <laughs> dictator is well, well, a political. I
4: mean, you're right. He was he a bully right. in the free market to he some was, degree. Yeah. I mean, he was uh, he was a tough.
0: Trump's employees, you you simply cannot run an yeah. organization of Trump's size without people having loyalty and affection yeah. for you. You
4: can't a
0: and You know.
4: Everything that I've ru- read from Trump's employees on uh, the guy said that, uh, you know, he's kind, he respects them. He wants the best for them. He's, yep. he's not the same person.
0: So Why, why would, why would you not be concerned about Steve jobs who had a significantly more authoritarian personality structure than Donald Trump? Why would you not be concerned about Steve jobs, but you are concerned about Donald Trump?
4: Because I wouldn't be under social pressure to find right. some criticism of Donald Trump. Right. I mean, of Steve jobs, of, excuse me. He's a good because player. you wouldn't get in trouble for saying Steve Jobs for president,
0: right. but people will look at you like you're some uneducated redneck hick for saying that Donald Trump is a brilliant guy yeah. who is the most able politician that this generation has ever seen. Fucking months into his campaign, he is outmaneuvering and outsmarting not only the media, but political rivals who have decades of experience.
4: Yeah. Like, holy was- shit.
0: I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, unbelievable it is it is like holy shit have you ever seen anything like some guy wanders into this field and is he he, he's like number one at everything he does he's number one on tv he's number one in business books he's number one in real estate development and now he's number one in politics like holy shit (sighs) the man is a titanic force of nature i mean whether you agree or like holy shit and he's forcing important conversations, not forcing, he's encouraging or revealing important conversations that Americans have been waiting since 1965 to have.
3: hmm
0: Honest conversation about race, you got it. Honest conversation about immigration, you got it. America.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. The man is, he's like a, I'm telling you, I mean, I know these words are going to come back to haunt me. I was telling you, like, he's a force of nature. hmm He is astonishingly competent at everything that he does. And whether or not he gains the presidency is another story. But if he did gain the presidency, it would not be the same America when he left as when he arrived. That's what people are hoping for they know they know and you know and i know and your girlfriend knows that any continuation of the status quo is going to end in fucking disaster disaster. like beyond beyond horrible disaster like fucking third world end of civilization disaster that is what happens you're right you're if nothing changes and it's not going to change from the democrats and it's not going to change from the republicans and they've rigged the game so there's no third party so if you want something to change,
4: it's Trump. It is. You're absolutely and, right. And it's like that's why, that's the why airplane I, is flying
0: into the side of the mountain.
4: I, I couldn't quite – I could never quite bring myself to denounce him outright. I could only
0: – Okay. Well, stop that. I, <laughs> if you've got good arguments, make yeah. them. But this vague apprehension shit is, is You're right. bullshit. You're absolutely It is bullshit, and I need to stop it. You need to stop it. And you need to start challenging people. Mm-hmm. give me your good arguments. Don't just create this vague negative apprehension. That's bigoted. It is. Imagine if I was doing that about some black candidate just because he was black. Well, you know, yeah. I don't know if he's going to turn the White House into like, I don't know, some weird pimping thing because that's what black... People would say, you're bigoted. If people just have this negative view of this guy, why?
4: Yeah.
0: You're a bigot. You're a, I don't know, like, you're a... It's a horrible thing to do to a human being, to just create vague, negative things about him. I mean, give some substantial arguments. Or, or and push back on the people who are just creating this negative stink cloud around the guy. That's bullshit.
4: It is bullshit. I need... You're right. You're absolutely right. He's I'm...
0: bringing up facts about immigration. He's I, a Nazi. I've, I've been... <laughs> no. If I, he's bringing up facts, he's actually being honest. Now, if honest is a Nazi... I don't even know what to say to people right. like
4: that. You know, I. You're right. I've been. Uh, I've. I've definitely been a moral coward to some extent in this space, to a large extent. Well, no. So mine. Well, girlfriend, colleagues.
0: <laughs> yeah. Look, don't, you don't have to go. You know, yeah. trumpeting blah blah blah. Right. But at least say, okay. Well. Like push back, right? I mean, yeah. I, I've had those uncomfortable conversations with people I've met, mm-hmm. people I chat with, and they're like, Oh, Donald Trump, can you <laughs> believe it? It's like, oh, tell me more. What? What? Well, it's been... just so, huh? <laughs> well, okay, yeah, some noises. You're making noises. I don't really understand the argument. What's the problem here? What I've been... Well, he hates immigrants. No, actually, I don't think you can be into real estate in America and hate immigrants. A lot of immigrants work for the guy. Would you like to try again?
4: Uh, what I've been doing is. Uh... I mean, I'd, I'd push back, but then I'd offer the Julius Caesar reference as kind of a fig leaf, and so I need to stop doing that.
0: Right? Yeah. I mean, don't frap out your balls and hand it to someone as a milkshake. Right? I mean, that's you just just be honest. Just say, don't have look, to. Look, I mean, I I yeah. don't know what the hell the guy is going to do as president.
4: But I mean, it's going to be different than what we're doing. Future behavior
0: relevant past behavior. Yeah, and. He, he, he. Given how competent he is in other fields, he is vastly likely to be the most competent president that America has seen in generations. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just because he's so competent at everything. Now, what yeah. competency in American politics looks like, I don't know. He wants to go bomb the shit out of the Middle East. I think that's horrible. And it's exactly the wrong thing to do, in my humble opinion, because the blowback is going to be ridiculous and it's going to escalate. Just get the fuck out of the Middle East and go home, for Christ's sakes.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, he wants to stop bringing the Middle East over to America. Great. Stop bringing America over to the Middle East. Let's call it a draw. But unfortunately, that's kind of the price you have to pay in Republican politics. You have to be a hawk. That's the deal. Whether he's going to... Now, he was against the war in Iraq. And that, of course, is to his everlasting credit. I don't yeah, know. Again, I, was, I don't think he's put out a formal policy statement on foreign policy or anything like that. I don't know. Yeah. But in terms of his capacity to undo the hypnosis, the car-like hypnosis of the mainstream media, his capacity to directly talk to the American public, his capacity to do two and a half hour speeches with no teleprompter, holy fuck. And have tens of thousands of people. Holy shit. And people say, oh, well, you see, he's he's friendly towards Putin. It's like, have you seen what goes on in Saudi Arabia? It's an official ally of the United States. Mm. 17 of the 19 hijackers came from Saudi Arabia. Jesus Christ. Well, Putin is... Kill journalists, really. I've not seen any court proof that. There's been some allegations, but I think pretty much we're going to go with innocent until proven guilty on that. I don't know. America's all sensitive now about the moral qualities of allies when Mm. Putin praises Trump. Mm. The fact that America has been allied with some of the most savage and horrifying dictators. It's ridiculous. Like Saddam Hussein. Like... uh, Bin it's, Laden, like whoever's in charge, uh, ever got top bedsheet of the pyramid in Saudi Arabia, like mm-hmm. Noriega, like uh, oh god, I mean just go on and on, right? I mean the number of of horrifying dictatorships that America has directly subsidized, funds sold weapons to, and supported. Mm-hmm. But now Putin said something nice, and now we've got these crazy moral standards about. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean it's uh, it's. Well, I, I, I gay love, from
4: what I've read? <laughs> I love the,
0: the 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 rock in the stupid pond. Just send some ripples up. Just Mm -hmm. to to break the hypnosis, break the hypnosis. People are literally hypnotized in fear and conformity at Mm -hmm. the moment. Something has to change. Especially my my hope, of course, was through this philosophy show, peaceful parenting. Bring libertarians over. Bring the anarchists over. Bring the voluntarists over. Get into peaceful parenting. Get a big movement going that way. How's that going? Well, individually, it's working fantastically and that tens of thousands of people are treating their children way better as a result of the show and as a result of people like your support. Nick, thank you again. I, no, but it's not happening fast enough.
4: <laughs> right. I don't mind supporting you. You do great work. <laughs> well, thanks. All right, listen, man, I got to close it off because... Uh, yeah, it's been a while. Uh, so, yeah, thank <laughs> but, you for uh, having me on the show again. Uh, I think what I'm going to do is I'm probably going to listen to this with, my girlfriend and see what she has to say about it because you're can right and have these her
0: are... call in yeah no, no yeah I, I, she can set me straight if i've gone astray and of course i'm talking about a third party so she's welcome to call yeah, in
4: absolutely. and correct, I,
0: or correct me on on her
4: I, yeah so
0: i'll uh, ask her if she'd like to do that okay All right. Thanks, man. Have a great, great night and uh, be honest with the people around you. And uh, now is the time. You know, Christmas sometimes is considered to be a time of peace. I think now is the time for honesty rather than peace. Uh, The hour is getting late and uh, we need to speak before we can't speak anymore. So thanks, everyone. Have yourselves a great, great week. freedomainradio.com slash donate to help out the show. FDRURL.com slash Amazon for all of your shopping needs. And I hope to talk to you again, guys, soon. Please like share and subscribe this video and audio, and stand tall for what you believe in. Otherwise, we will be cut down like the weeds we have become. Talk to you later.